What's going on? It's Mark Malusa's Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Ah, yes, a good Saturday morning to one and all as we come to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Anthony, Chris, across the way, Pete, with your updates. As we take you for the next four hours right here on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227, your number to call to get involved. Good morning, Maggie. How are you? Moose, good morning. You know, before we get into a lot of football, and, and there's plenty to talk about today, both on the field, off the field as well, can I just tell you a little story about me getting to the studio this morning? Okay. I was in an Uber, and this guy was telling me this crazy story. He goes, so uh, did you hear, you know, about this story that was on the news a couple months ago? I said, yeah, no, the news. I, I didn't hear that. This guy picked up someone at JFK Airport, John F. Kennedy Airport, you know, big international airport here in New York City. And he said the guy was like sweating bullets when he got into the back of the Uber, right? right. And he goes, can you turn on the air? And the, he's sweating. And they get onto the, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. You know, I'm getting a little, a little local here. But just that's very, very close by right. JFK. He gets onto the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. And before he knows it, he's being swarmed by five police cars, guns drawn, okay? Turns out the guy, the the customer, the passenger, had drugs taped all over his body, wow. like a scene out of Midnight Express, you know? And so they tell the Uber driver, you're fine, you're fine. We know you're the Uber guy. But this guy is definitely going, getting hauled away to prison, which is wow. just crazy because I'm thinking back to when I was flying to Vegas not too long ago to go to the Mayweather-McGregor fight, and the security definitely took my toothpaste and my face cream because it was two ounces over whatever the limit is. Meanwhile, this guy waltzing through security, presumably with a lot of drugs taped to his body. So I'm a little miffed this morning, but it was a great story. Yes. Isn't I don't that even wild? know how to transition from that. <laughs> well, you know, I just thought the audience would know. I'm sure a lot of people out there listening might be in an Uber. Maybe you're an Uber driver yourself. I'm sure you got some crazy tales. I told no, the guy, you got to write sure. a book, man. Yeah, he should. Yeah, he should write a book. He, he gave me like well, four different he, stories. At least he good. got here safe and sound. That's the most important I was probably the least uh, interesting passenger he's ever had in his life. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it here safe <laughs> yeah, and sound. Yeah, thank you. Because you're going to work. Go. I said, yeah. And he goes, yoga instructor? I was like, thank you. No, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everyone assumes I am because I come in gym clothes. <laughs> no, Best compliment not, I ever Not had. yoga this morning. No, not no, yoga no. this morning. But plenty of things to get into um, on this Saturday, certainly. Uh, and um, we'll have a cavalcade of guests over the course of the next four hours as well. Your calls at 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. And, um, you know, lead off with the big news that, uh, you know, Elliot uh, won the injunction and uh, – Oh, he was going to be playing on Sunday night against the Giants, and uh, until the uh, the temporary restraining order, the NFL can't suspend him. The six games they're looking to suspend him. So, uh, for the foreseeable future, Ezekiel Elliott's going to be playing football for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I'm really shocked because I was talking to SI's legal analyst Michael McCann, and he basically said that injunctions are really only considered in what he said, quote unquote, an extraordinary measure. And, you know, this one, there's like four different prongs that, you know, the the threshold that this would need to meet to get this preliminary injunction. And this judge, Mazant, down in Texas, thought that it, that it qualified and met all of these different stipulations. You know, the one thing I feel like is always sort of deserves to be said here is that this ruling doesn't exonerate Ezekiel Elliott. You know, this ruling is nothing about, you know, what happened between him 
and the former girlfriend at all. It's about the process by which Roger Goodell punishes players in the league. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, it just seems like this system doesn't work. You know, most it just doesn't work because no side looks good here, right? The NFL doesn't look good. Roger Goodell is just for he he has a lot of gifts. He really does. I mean, I think we have to give credit where it's due. He does have a lot of positive things that he does for the league, but he is not good at this. He is not good at player discipline. And so why does he have to be the person who's in charge of this? I mean, it's totally possible that the NFL can change their policy in terms of how they're adjudicating these kinds of cases. And, you know, for the NFLPA, I don't think they look good either because they allege all these conspiracies. You know, they're ultimately defending someone who, you know, did things that are not good. And it just makes both sides look so bad that I feel like they have to come to some kind of understanding that the system that they're operating in has to be changed because Goodell looks like a fool. The NFLPA, they look bad. I mean, no side of this looks good at all. And meanwhile, what's the NFL fan supposed to do? How are they supposed to feel? Because even if you're a Cowboy fan, even if you had Zeke on your fantasy team, I mean, it, it's we're not, like I said, he's not exonerated from any kind of wrongdoing or misconduct in the eyes of the NFL you have the the statements out there from the accuser. It, it just leaves everyone in such a bind, and now it's going to be hanging over all of us in terms of, like, you know, this could drag on until next season. Yeah. It well, likely will. Yeah, I mean, the NFL, um, maybe they need to uh, reassess, and uh, maybe it is something that needs to be collectively bargained, and that's been an issue between the National Football League and the Players Association. Um, you know, but this isn't about uh, innocence or guilt. This is just about the process uh, more so than anything else. So uh, I guess uh, people can celebrate that Elliot is, is going to be playing football. Um, and that, um, but this is, this does not exonerate Ezekiel Elliott in any way, shape or form. That's yeah. the, because then, and, and that's been something that's been out there and it just doesn't, I mean, honestly, so uh, we'll see how it does play out down the line. The National Football League is not going to go quietly into the night. Um, and uh, they are certainly going to fight this. And uh, we'll have uh, you know future court dates in, involving Ezekiel Elliott and domestic violence and uh, what he did or did not do last July in Columbus, Ohio, against his, uh, his former girlfriend and um, if he did abuse her and did beat her. Um, and the NFL alleges that uh, they believe that that he did so. Uh, but he'll be playing football on on Sunday night. Uh, and for some, uh, then unfortunately, that's the most important thing. Well, I mean, I don't even know, though, when they the NFL is going to appeal to the Fifth Circuit, not to get too into the weeds here, but they are pro- likely going to appeal to the Fifth Circuit, which has a pa- that would be a panel of three judges who would then hear this case you know, nine out of 14 judges were appointed by Republican presidents. They're nominated by Republican presidents. So you can say they're a little bit more favorable to the NFL. That's how they've ruled in the past. Um, but that it's not even really about whether Zeke did anything. I mean, now it's just really all about the process. It's all about this Article 46 of this collective bargaining agreement, which says whether or not Goodell has the power to do what he did. And at the center of this Zeke situation right now is because Harold Henderson, we remember him as being the arbitrator, whether because he did not allow the notes from uh, the interviews with Zeke Elliott's accuser, because he did not allow the NFLPA and Zeke's lawyers to cross-examine the former girlfriend, because they did not allow the NFLPA and Zeke lawyers, Zeke's lawyers to uh, cross-examine Roger Goodell, 
They believe that there was no way without those three things happening that Zeke Elliott could have gotten a fair case. And so now the NFL is going to have to fight that. So it's, listen, is it, I'm not a lawyer. Is it a legal mess? Absolutely. Did Zeke Elliott just win a case that I think most legal experts expected him not to win? Yes. Well, I don't know about that. I, I, I thought he was going to get the injunction. I mean, honestly, I, I, from what I was reading, I, you know, I'm not surprised that he, that he got the restraining order. I don't know how it plays out down the line. I mean, but uh, because I read a number of things where they felt like because of the court that it was in, that he had a, you know, a better than 50-50 chance of getting the temporary restraining order. I guess because I'm looking at the words extraordinary measures. And I didn't well, I wasn't sure if that would meet that threshold that gotcha. that you get the you get the injunction because of extraordinary measures. To me, that doesn't seem I, I did not think that this would apply. But gotcha. listen, I mean, Brady got it. You know, Brady won in district court as well and then lost in federal court. You know, there there are um, small victories here from the players and it just may delay the inevitable like it did with Brady or maybe it will work out for Elliott. I mean, this thing could <laughs> this is crazy to say. We said this with the flake game. It could go to the Supreme Court. I mean, it's that's a very small chance as well. But at yeah, this point, I, I nothing mean, would surprise no, me. I, I get it. I, I understand. I mean, but I, I think the the Supreme Court. I mean, I, I do think there are bigger bigger things that the Supreme Court should be looking at rather than whether or not Ezekiel Elliott um, and whether or not the the National Football League handled this properly. I mean, I, I don't. I don't. It comes down to simply, you know, if you're Elliott, then you know either you hit her or you didn't. I mean, honestly, uh, whether and so. But, it, but it doesn't because this is about process. It's no, not even I, about I, that. I, I understand it's about process, but it feels like they well they well it is about process, but it always comes back to to last July because they don't feel like he was treated properly or fairly. I mean, if he's innocent, he's innocent. Uh, then he could then then he should have a, an explanation and a fair explanation of of how she ended up with all these bruises on her body in the, the week of July, right? I mean, what what do they say is a bar fight? I mean, I, so. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And and I saw people that were like uh, ecstatic that he's going to continue to play football. And, and I guess, I mean, I, I I still come down to the fact that, you know, the, the National Football League, it, it is their league. I mean, it, if they want somebody to play or not play, they can ultimately made that dis- make that decision. If they if they don't ultimately don't feel like Ezekiel Elliott has behaved properly to line up and play football for the Dallas Cowboys – then so be it. I mean, that this was something that the Players Association gave Roger Goodell this right uh, to handle the personal conduct policy. He's had this power for quite some time. I guess if I were the Players Association, though, and I was playing devil's advocate here, I would say that while the NFL, yes, they can determine sort of who plays on the field, you also have to ensure that someone has a fair process, right? They have to be able to defend themselves, not this case, not against the accusation of violence, but the accusation that he was given a kind of fair process. And that's what this Judge Mazant, the most recent one, says he thought it was spoiled from the very beginning. This entire case was spoiled from the beginning because Kia Roberts, who was the lead investigator on this case, they believe that her notes never got to Goodell. I mean, that's how secretive these things are. I mean, the fact that the Players Association doesn't even know if Goodell, the commissioner, even talked to the lead investigator. I mean, if that doesn't throw up a red flag that this system needs to be changed and is absolutely being bungled, then I don't know what else does. So I can see it from the labor relations point of view, you know, that if you you want to make sure that, yes, while the NFL 
you know, ultimately has a say. They did collectively bargain, although there is this sort of player policy document that Roger Goodell and the league implemented that the Players Association did not have a chance to collectively bargain. You're seeing now the NFLPA, you know, I'll say this, they're good tweeters. You know, they do tweet well. They tweet very quotable things, and they had an explanation about until this process is fairly collectively bargained. I mean, they're not talking about the CBA. It's a little misleading there. They're talking about this one document about player policy with regards to suspensions with uh, this type of personal conduct. I hate to get in the weeds on this. I hope I'm not putting people to sleep, but I think it's important to make that distinction that I understand why they're they're sticking up for their player, not to say that he's not an abuser of women, but they're sticking up and to, to say whether or not his process was fair. And in this case, this judge determined it was absolutely not fair and it was never fair from the beginning. And this is big. It is. I mean, it's not big in terms of Sundays and whether the Cowboys are going to make it to the playoffs this year. I mean, it is because Zeke now can play. Well, it is because of that. But, like, moving forward, I mean, you're going to have – it's a very small amount of people, right? They have been big names. It's been Brady. It's been Adrian Peterson. It's been now Zeke. It was Bountygate. I mean, you have all these – these very high-profile cases, but it really doesn't impact the rank-and-file guy who plays in the National Football League. It really doesn't. And so the Players Association has to – this is what well, they have to well, weigh, right? Well, it affects all the players because unless you don't follow the law. Well, right, but I'm just saying for the if they want to change the CBA, right, and I think that the NFL should want to do this too because I don't think Goodell should have this much power. It's clear he's not good at handling it. But I, I'm just wondering how much do you make that a priority when – 90%, 95% of your constituents, i.e. the football players, never have issues that need to come before Roger Goodell. So it's like, do you yeah. do you prioritize the rank and file guys? Do you talk about more guarantees and contracts? Do you talk about head trauma stuff? Do you talk about, you know, getting pensions, you know, increased? Do you I talk about I mean that's a that's a question for D. Maurice Smith, right? I mean, and and the players association what they're what they're gonna prioritize in, in the next CBA deal. Yeah. Uh I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I would imagine this uh would be high up on the list. I don't know if it's at the top of the list, but I would imagine it would be high up on the list. No? I mean uh, but I mean I mean it's quite simple. I mean, follow the law. I mean, uh, you well, know, that, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean it's really not that difficult if you follow that's the, the law. Root of it. If you follow the law uh and and you, you don't act like an absolute moron away from the football field, uh then you'll be a okay. And listen, the the other issue you have here for Elliot is that he does have I mean, he's got to get his act in order away from the football field because I mean, whether he did pull down the top of a woman St. Patrick's Day um, he is partying up down in Dallas uh, to the point where everybody knows where he is partying, when he is partying. And listen, you can go drink yourself to the till the cows come home. But um, but that has to be concerning, and it is for the Dallas Cowboys here moving forward. He was a hard partier at Ohio State as well. Um, this is not exactly behavior that would be symbolic of somebody that's going to have a long life and a long career in the National Football League. So. Uh, we'll see what Elliot does. We'll see if he, and the fear that he have is that maybe he's become emboldened by this, uh, that he feels like nothing needs to change instead of a little bit of uh, introspection, uh, looking at oneself and how his behavior and how he has behaved as an individual, because ultimately that also needs to change. Well, listen, he's got a lot to lose. He really does. And I think that while this is a small victory or however you want to quantify it, but it is a victory for Zeke Elliott today, That doesn't mean that overall this is a victory. Keep in mind, the NFL, the league, can always, always, and prefers to play the long game. They play the long game. It's the player 
and the the players association they're the ones who need to play the short game right they need right. The, those small these individual victories right those are good good sort of lily pads for them to jump on to get across the stream meanwhile the nfl they feel like they're going to be here for the next 100 years so whatever happens in the next week week month year that's they're playing the long game here and it's the the players who need to play the short game just because their careers are so short we're curious you know this would be one thing i'm curious about all this stuff now bad look for the league you know people have talked about turning off games because of kaepernick turning off games because xyz i mean are you just sick of it you're just sick of it or does it not matter because games are starting already started thursday night games starting this weekend don't know don't care 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We want your reaction. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along here on this Saturday morning. That is your number to call. Hit us up on Twitter at Mark Malusis at Maggie Gray. There you go. Or at Moose and Maggie, three ways you can go about doing that. Let's head out to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. It's John at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, John? Hey, good morning. How you doing this morning? Good morning, John. Hey, I, uh, I'm i a big Roger Goodell fan. I think he knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. Zeke is the one that loses out in this. Does he follow the process to the T? No. In this liberal world, if you do, you won't get anything done. I like the way he goes about business. He knows he's going to get egg on his face. But, again, he knows that me, you, and everybody else is going to be talking about this. It's going to be on the headlines. Elliot's the one that loses, not Goodell. He can't work. He can't look any worse than he does. People can't hate him any more than they already do. Well, never be so sure about that, John. But, no, I, I mean, there's, a, there's part of me that agrees with you in terms of it's almost an impossible job. I mean, let's think about it. You have to try to please 32 billionaires, and you also, you know, have to look out for the future of the league, everything. But one thing I would say where I don't think Adele has done a great job, and thank you for the call, is that the relationship between Goodell and the Players Association is toxic to the point that it's unproductive. You know, and I think that, like, the smallest things where you feel like could get resolved, you know, I don't want to say behind closed doors because I'm all in fear of, you know, uh, transparency, but, like, the smallest things that could get resolved easily seem to find themselves in court. And, you know, I I get it, and I understand, you know, that you both sides want, want to have their side heard and both sides want to dig in their heels and they both think they're right. But at some point, I mean, you have to be cooperative at some point with each other, right? For the future of your league, think about it. What have we been talking about, like, all offseason? What is really dominated, I would say, in terms of sports news? What's really dominated? Two stories, right? The NBA player movement, and then you have NFL, and it's basically negative. One side seems to be more positive, where it's interesting, guys moving around, who's going to go who, requesting trades. And then on the other side, you have one of your star players who's, you know, embroiled in a domestic violence case and then before that it was the commissioner versus the face of the league and tom brady and then before that it was adrian peterson i mean you just had all these negative headlines and i feel like you you know that everything is connected here like i i just think that the nfl you know is not doing itself a disservice not doing itself a service by fighting in so many ways with their star players over this power and not relinquishing any part of it to someone other than goodell or to the Players Association to try to get some kind of, I guess, just like cooperation is what I would say. And, you know, one other thing 
that I think is kind of interesting about this one. Goodell came out this week, Moose, and was, um, you know, basically had a statement that was in support of Michael Bennett, you know, to a certain degree, right? He came out and supported him to a certain degree. And I thought that while I thought Goodell played that very much down the middle, I think that it was important because I think that the players have to look at Goodell as someone besides just a guy who comes in and finds them all the time or someone who's coming in to try to take them to court. I mean, they have to look at him, and he, besides the bro hug that he gives them the night of the draft, there has to be another moment where it seems like they have something positive that yeah, goes on I, in their relationship. There, I mean, does there really need to be? I think it'd, I think it'd help. I mean, I, why? I mean, the ratings are good. Goodell's making money. The NFL's making money. Why? Why do we have to make a big deal about the relationship between the players and Roger Goodell? I mean. Antonio Brown in the offseason was there at the league offices celebrating with Roger Goodell, saying he's the best commissioner of all sports because they're going to allow him to celebrate in the end zone again. I mean, so, I mean, are we making a, a little bit too big of a deal about it to where we're talking about the relationship between the players and, and the NFL commissioner? I mean, now, it depends on what kind of calculations you're looking at because I think that there's a lot. I think that while the ratings are still very high and while anyone would probably kill for those ratings, they are down. And I don't know if that's going to continue, but we'll have to wait and see. I think that the NFL has not done a good job in terms of marketing their players, which was strategic, right? Because they want they want to put the teams above all. So it doesn't matter who's playing for you. You'll always root for your team no matter who's on it. Meanwhile, they never really did anything to, you know, market the players, I think, individually where you have these stars like you do in the NBA. Now, is it apples to apples? Probably no, it's not. it's completely different. Maggie. It is different. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's completely different. The players in the NBA have so much more leeway to learn about them. They've got 82 games. The NFL player's got 16 games. The NBA player, you can see their face. Right. The NFL player's got a helmet on. So... I mean, it, and if is, you're looking at the complete. future, this is what's not, trending is, up and what's trending down? But this is not uh, Lou Lamarillo and the Devils not sending out posters for Scott Stevens because they didn't want to make a, they didn't want to have him make more money. I mean, this is this is an instance here where the NFL doesn't find enough job marking their players. I mean, to to the point where Odell Beckham Jr. just signed the the largest deal ever for an NFL player with Nike. So I mean. It can't be all bad. No, I mean, but the largest to... deal that he signs, Moose, is what one tenth of what James Harden would get. Yeah, I, I understand that, but James. But here's the here's the other aspect. People care more about the individual player in the NBA than they do in the NFL. Then and that is not Roger Goodell's problem. Well, I would just say which who's trending up and who's trending down. Even if the NFL is such a far head start on all the other leagues in terms of their popularity, you could say that you know with the, the concussion issues with player uh, things off the field, with domestic violence, with things like this. I mean, I think you could argue that a lot of people, I think, would say that the NFL, in a way, is trending down, and I think the NBA is trending up. Yeah, but, I mean, you are still looking at an oceanic gap between the two. I, I go back to I what mean, so, Mark Cuban said, I mean, though, about in terms we, of fat hogs get slaughtered. Yes, I don't think I, the NFL I mean, is in any it, danger it, in five to ten even, years. I mean, I'm talking is, about 50. Well, I mean, you're looking at we'll all be dead. I mean, <laughs> okay. honestly, How I, about would, 15? I, would, I could care less about well, the popularity of the NBA and the NFL in, in 50 years when I'm basically six feet under. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm a carcass. So, I mean, I, I don't care right now and for the foreseeable future here. The NBA is not catching up on the NFL to that degree. It's a ripple. I mean, that's what it is. It's skipping a stone across the, across the lake. I mean, uh, the, the NBA is, yes, the, the second most popular sport, 
But it is a gargantuan gap to the National Football League. I would say, though, if you look globally, if you look at... I'm looking at the United States. I could care less about Asia. Uh, I don't care about Europe. I don't care about anything like that. The NFL does. They just can't break into those markets. I understand the NFL does. I'm talking about here in the United States. If you're looking at popularity in the United States, there is not even a comparable... Between football and basketball, it's not even comparable. As we sit here, yes. Yeah. And But I'm saying if you're looking forward, I mean, this is what I'm just saying about the NFL, how they can take the long view, how teams can take the long view. I mean, they want their franchises to continue on to be these cash cows. I mean, you're seeing the NBA, a, a franchise sells for $2.2 billion. It's not Fantastic. nothing. Fantastic. No, I'm not saying it is. Right. But I, I, I said the NBA is the second most popular sport. It's not the NFL. It's it's not the NFL. Okay, how I guess I'll put this out to the audience. What's trending up and what's trending down, if it matters Maggie, at all? It, but that doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, you could say we could look at the NBA and say it's trending upward, but where, where the NFL, when you look at a down rating, the NFL rating still overall, and the people that watch it, tell me who's watching the Super Bowl as compared to who's watching uh, the NBA oh, finals. Well, the Super Bowl, NFC and AFC championship game and the Super Bowl, I think, are, you're right, oceanic. But I'm just thinking about... Whether they, I said the NFL does have a big head start on the NBA, but they are seeing their ratings drop. I don't know why the ratings dropped on Thursday. I mean, maybe you can blame the weather situations that are going on. We should just send our thoughts. Everyone down in Florida, I have family in Miami. I'm so scared for them. Everyone well, in hopefully Houston. Hopefully they're out of Miami. It's, it's just really, really awful what's going on. So obviously much more important things to be thinking about. But do you think that would be the reason why a 10% ratings dip? Like, the, the election's over, you know? I mean, the news, the political news is still big. I don't know. I mean, may, maybe it's a case of they're, they're watching other ways that aren't rated. It's I possible. I mean, maybe they're streaming. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, it's O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. For a limited time, you'll find double-point offers on appearance items, oil specials, and more. If you're not a member yet, sign up today. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's head out to Lansing, Michigan. It's Craig at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Craig? Hey, hey, good morning. You know, here's the problem I have with the whole uh, investigation with Ezekiel Elliott and, and what they came up with. Uh, Goodell, Mr. Commissioner, the former chauffeur of Paul Tagliabu, you know, because, you know, when you drive around a limo for somebody for a while, I guess you get really good at being a commissioner. But whatever. Um, here's the thing. How is it that it takes a whole year to figure out what's going on? I mean, couldn't you and I sit down and, like, probably have a, you know, a, a grasp on what's going on within, like, I'm going to say 35 minutes? We have all the proof in front of us, everything that's going on in front right. of us. So could we not come up with a solution and what's really going on within like one half hour? Not not a year. Yeah, probably not. A not. Month, not like not. No, seriously. Like no, seriously, had, probably no, not. No, no. I mean, seriously. If if we have the information in front of us, yeah, we can you, look you, at you it. have to investigate. Being, it. Yes. How about being the fact? Too well, let me ask you. People. Can I ask you a question? Why did Why did Elliot's family and friends? Why would they refuse to speak to the NFL? Well, why would they speak to the NFL? I mean, well, I, I mean, no, if you're if you're, you're, you're if, if, if you're looking for the due process, and if he's an if he's an innocent man, why wouldn't you, you speak? So this so is the, this to, is the thing, you're, Craig. You're, you're, you're trying to steer me away from what I what I said, which which I'm not going to do. What I'm trying to say is, if we have what's in front of us. And we're trying to put one, uh, the evidence on one side and the evidence on the other, like as in a civil trial. 
and 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 the the scale swings one way or the other. Right. The most evidence being one side or the other. Then we're going to have to decide, and it's either going to be an easy decision or it's not going to be no, a, Craig, an this easy is, decision. I'm Craig. just going to jump in on you just for a second because the NFL, it's not actually a court, so they don't have subpoena power. They can't well, make anybody talk to them, so they're trying to do their due diligence. That's why Moose said, why didn't any of Elliot's friends or family talk? Like The NFL can't make them say, go back to July. You said you were with Zeke Elliott at the time to the police. You said that he didn't do anything at the time. And, they and now, when the, them. now when the NFL follows up a year later, they say, we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to say a word. So the NFL is trying to get both sides. The investigators are trying to get both sides. But they can't because they can't make anyone speak to them. If he did nothing wrong, if I'm I'm innocent and my friend was there and I did nothing wrong, why wouldn't I speak? Well, that's a good point. But but what my point is. is, But they didn't. And that all takes time. It's not guilty until proven innocent. It's innocent until This is not a court of law, Craig. This is not a court of law. I know it's not a court of law. Not a court of law. So don't, don't, don't. This is not a court of law. So if it's not a court of law, does that mean that all NFL players are guilty until proven innocent? No, it has nothing to do with that. Craig, I mean, can we, can we, does Ezekiel Elliott, does he put himself in a situation he shouldn't put himself in? I'm not saying that. I mean, honestly. Sometimes, sometimes, no, 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 no. This is not a matter of trouble finding him. Ezekiel has had a history of finding trouble. But at he, the brought, he shattered line, a man's nose day, in Dallas. The, he pulled the, the top of the down day, of a woman he, at St. Patrick's Day. He, he's of accused day, of he he's accused of beating his former girlfriend on three the, occasions last did, July in Columbus, Ohio. This is not a case do, of being in a bad spot for wrong place, wrong do, time. No, 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 no. Did he do something that he can be? Proven that it was done that makes him. It's not beyond you know, a reasonable hey, we, doubt. It doesn't have to be a reasonable doubt. Can they prove he did what you're saying he did? As the the that NFL they believes it. they had enough proof. The the arbitrator Harold Henderson thought the NFL had enough proof. Now he he won a he wanted this is not, this legal battle's not over. Not a case so of I, this is not a case of Ezekiel Elliott being innocent. Has nothing not to do with that. This has nothing Listen, to do I'm with not. it. And, uh, you know, if this is no, woman, but this has nothing to do woman, with that. If he if he beat a woman, I want him to get suspended for six games. I'd rather I'll let you do because he came on years. making fun of what Goodell used to do. Goodell is well, a Goodell is a brilliant money man. Goodell is well, a so brilliant. A well, that is I'm what a, that's all. Right honestly, now, that is what the NFL owners care about. They care about the almighty dollar. It's harder to get your job than it is to be a chauffeur. Craig, Craig, yeah, but, I mean, don't Craig, be a I mean, Listen, he worked in the in the league I mean, office from the moment he graduated from college. I mean, he's he's put in what thirty years. Like, yes, maybe he started as a chauffeur, but I started at Westwood One CBS Sports Radio getting paninis for people, and now I'm talking to you. So everybody starts somewhere, you know. This is what happens. It, you, you know, to, to go to his credibility like that, I feel like undermines your own argument. If you want to say, why does this process take so long? Well, it takes long because they don't, they're not the cops. They're investigators. They're former FBI agents, whatever, but they don't have subpoena power. They can't make people talk to them. Look at some of the other cases that have happened most. Look at Josh Brown, right? Who just got a six game suspension, even though he is not on a team right now. Right. Let's put that aside. One of the things that made that investigation so difficult is because his ex-wife, Molly Brown, was not cooperating and did not want to talk to NFL investigators. Right. Tiffany Thompson, this woman who's accusing Zeke Elliott, actually did talk to Key Roberts, who was the lead investigator. Now, it got bungled from there, be sure. It got bungled from there, which is why I don't think Goodell should be the person who is presiding over this part 
of player discipline in the National Football League. You know, in a lot of ways, he took, you know, the we saw who just got uh, fined, uh, Vontez Burfecht. Right. A lot of those hits and the on-field stuff, he's actually delegated that away to Troy Vincent and to other people. He should do the same thing here because it, he, he's not – He's not done well in this area. For all the good things he's done, the TV contracts and making everyone rich and, and all that stuff, he's done some good things, but this he's not done well. And you got to know your strengths and your weaknesses, right? And this is not a strength. So he has to he has to do that. He has to move away from this, in my opinion. But in terms of, you know, uh, the this investigation taking a long time, you want it to be thorough, don't you? I mean, do you want this to be judge jury in an afternoon? You want it to happen over the weekend? Right. No, we should want people to be thorough. The problem is the NFL still messed it up at Matt, the end of the day. Well, then I that's mean, where we're here. And listen, as I said, this is a victory for Zeke Elliott and the NFL PA today. Today it is. Right. Let's wait. Because we thought it was a victory for Brady, too. And he ended up serving four games. Right, he ended up losing. Chicago we go. It's John at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, John? Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so... I got a question. Um, so, you know, last year, obviously, with the whole national anthem protests, whether you agree with it or not, the ratings went down at the beginning of the year. Obviously, they picked up back up, you know, once come like week five, week six. But do you think, you know, with obviously more and more players doing the whole national anthem protest, is, uh, do you think ratings are going to be affected this year by that? You know, I can't no, tell because, not. John, in my opinion, I think that the people who are very, very upset with the national anthem protest still, I think it is actually a pretty vocal minority. I do. So I don't think that those people and all the, you know, John Mara, the owner of the Giants, saying he got more emotional mail about this than anything else. And I and I understand that. But I do think that it, it actually is a, a minority of people. I don't see a whole slew and swath of someone uh, uh, that, that would say they're not watching because the anthem protest. Now, on the flip side, you do have the NAACP who is planning a uh, protest in Atlanta this weekend, I believe, for the home opener for the Falcons in their new stadium, who are saying boycott the NFL. Now, I don't know you how know, many I, people that's going to affect. I, I don't know. I, I agree. It's definitely it's definitely a minority. But, I mean, you saw it affect the ratings last year, and I think this year is probably going to be on a bigger scale. So. See, I don't know well, if that actually affected at, the ratings, though. Well, I think it was the election. the election. You can look at that. I mean, there's a number of factors in terms of the ratings, the quality of play as well. Uh, yeah, the Thursday internally. night games were dreadful. Right, and not just that overall. Uh, but, yeah, the Thursday night game was not a good product. But And Monday night. They yeah. had a bad slate of schedule. Actually, the Monday night – Schedule, I feel like the last two years has been pretty Yeah, bad. I mean, but that's, I mean, that has not been really the, you know, the premier package. The Thursday night games with the short work weeks is usually just a bad product. Sunday night's the best one, obviously, because they can flex into right. whatever Thursday they want. Night, so they because make of the short work week, that's, that's the reason why that product is so bad. But Moose, you brought up a good point earlier with regards to the TV ratings, and I think this is smart to keep in mind, is that, you know, we are watching games very differently now. So how do you really determine what, whether a quote-unquote, like a, a, a game like lands, if you will, you know, is it, does it have to be trending on Twitter and you have to look at streams and you have to take into account the TV rating? Like you might have to do a more, uh, you know, cast a wider net in terms of how we're looking at how you view games. Cause I bet there's a lot of people listening to us now who probably gave up traditional television a while ago, sure. cut the cord and they just stream and buy it directly from the league. Um, and if you want to watch NBA, you buy game pass. And if you want to watch MLB, you buy extra innings and you just go a la carte. Well, let's head out to, uh, Albaline, Texas. It's Alan. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Alan? Hey, good morning. I just got a quick question. I may be missing something here, but uh, that the DA didn't 
they did, they failed to prosecute him, correct? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so if they failed to prosecute him and there's not enough evidence for them to do a criminal trial on him, how does the NFL think that they are able to discipline a player for something that our courts can't even find enough to to take him to court? Because there's a different like level. There's a different. There's a different level of proof. Yeah, and and the NFL has already come out and said they don't care what the police and what the threshold is for the police. They're still going to do their own investigation because they're talking about what impacts their business, whether not whether you know how the charges that someone's going to bring against in terms of criminal charges. They're talking about the hit. Within reason here, I mean, within reason. I mean, there's a reason why you know the NFL investigated this for a year. I mean, they're so. I mean, they're not going to trump up charges on a player. But uh, the National Football League thought there was enough evidence to believe that uh, Ezekiel Elliott, from their vantage point, uh, abused his former girlfriend on three occasions and beat her last July. And And the the NFL believes that. Here's the thing, right? And I I don't think that playing in the NFL is like a regular job. It's just different. But there is something there, right, where you can get fired from your job for doing something that's not necessarily illegal, (laughs) right? Right. Well, I mean, people, I mean, now they've gone crazy. I mean, on uh, with the level of proof and what people are doing and how they did it. I mean, and in this, Ezekiel Elliott won his, won his case because of the process, not because he's innocent. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was not vindicated yesterday. Ezekiel Elliott is now not above reproach. Ezekiel Elliott is still, uh, the NFL still believes Ezekiel Elliott beat his ex-girlfriend. I mean, that that is... This is about the process. This is not about innocence or guilt. Yeah. And you can't compare it to the court of law. The NFL is not the court of law. It's a company. Honestly, they then they decide whether or not you they can you can work for them. It's not a God given right. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, hour number two here on this Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Hit us up on Twitter, at Mark Malusis, at Maggie Gray, at Moose and Maggie. Three ways you can go about doing that. And uh, hour number two, and you saw on Thursday night in the NFL game, Maggie, where the New England Patriots fall to the Kansas City Chiefs, and... Uh, Kansas City certainly put on a show in that fourth quarter as that game went along. New England didn't play particularly well. Kansas City suffers the loss of their star safety and Eric Berry with a ruptured Achilles tendon as he is done for the season. And um, uh, good win for Kansas City. Tough loss when you look at the injury. And uh, and everybody now can play the game of um, uh, speculating that this is now the end of uh, the New England Patriots because we've been there, done that before, and it's really uh, – and, and people were jumping ship three years ago, and they went out there and won a Super Bowl. So I've heard that conversation already, which is moronic um, and low-hanging fruit. Uh, but uh, that does play out, and, um, and and you've heard that. So it's an overreaction to me to week one where you'll see the Patriots be able to bounce back. No, remember it was, the I think, a, another shellacking by the, at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs, this time, though, in Kansas City, that Correct. prompted Bill Belichick to say on to Cincinnati. And now he's saying on to New Orleans. And I think they will bounce back, obviously. And, you know, the idea, though, that they were going to go 16-0 and 0 
was pretty crazy to begin with. And I think it was overreaction for how they pulled that Super Bowl out of there. You know what's. But one thing about the Patriots, and you guys know I've sit here on Saturday morning. I'm a Bills fan, but I'm a beaten down Bills fan. Like, I don't, I can't even hate the Patriots anymore because at some point it falls on your shoulders, right? You got to look yourself in the mirror and say, your team has stunk for the last 17 years. You got to do something about it, right? So I'm not even going to be a Patriots hater. But one thing I'll say about the Moose is, man, were they trying to rub it in on Thursday? And they, they got what was coming to them. And there's maybe a little small part of me that could be a little bit happy about that because it was so unpatriots-like. You know, the Patriot way, say what you will about it, but it's all about the football. It's all about the thing on the field. And Thursday night, that was anything but football. They were talking about, that was about shoving it in Goodell's face. That was about, you know, the 28-3. the to And listen, it was a phenomenal comeback. I get it. But it wasn't the first Super Bowl that you guys have won. I mean, you'd have won five, right? I mean, I, I thought that it was so much more about the shoving in Goodell's face and about the you know the fact that he was there that night. And, you know, Barstool Sports, this has nothing to do with the Patriots, but Barstool Sports had the, fo- the towels of Goodell with the clown nose on it. Like, it just that it, it got so far away from football. And to me, that's so unpatriots-like. And then the fact that they had to pay the price and they got smoked at home in the home opener. And, you know, Kansas City scored more points you know, racked up more yards than anyone in the Goodell era or Goodell era in the Belichick era. I mean, it was a full on assault in that fourth quarter. And I just felt like in some ways, you know, the Patriots sort of had that coming to them. They're not above it. You no, know, I, I they understand. got, they got a little petty there. Listen, I thought. I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're above it, but it, it didn't bother me to the victor go the spoils. So they, they celebrate went a little bit over the top. Aren't you, aren't you expected to do that? I guess in today's day and age, um, uh, if you if you go out and, and you win to the level that they did, don't you expect that? Not to, not the Patriots and not to that level. I mean, listen, the Super Bowl comeback was unbelievable. First overtime ever in Super Bowl history. How they pulled that out, it's amazing. I still can't believe it. I watched it. I still don't believe it. I still felt like the when Julio Jones made that catch, I thought that the, the game was over. It didn't happen. Patriots pulled it out, and I understand wanting to celebrate it, but it's not like you're the Chicago Cubs. I mean, it's not like you never won. And, you know, no, it was a 100 it. years, you know? You guys, like, you know, it you bring bother. out Marky Mark. I mean, come on. Well, he does, uh, but he's like the poster. Florida? Ch- but he's the poster Shh. child of, of Florida, of Florida, of, my, of uh, Boston sports right now. Is he not? Shame on Florida. Your name's Florida. How about a little solidarity with a fellow AFC East team? Eh. Eh? Really? Yeah, you know, you give me the same reaction that everyone in the SI office gave me. I'm like, no, no, no you don't understand what it's like to be in the Patriots' shadow. You can't just all of a sudden be putting on a Brady jersey if you are representing a city. People do a lot of things for money. <laughs> True. I mean, honestly, people I don't, do a lot of things I don't of know if there's money. a price. Nah, maybe there's a price. I probably have a price to yeah, put on a Brady jersey, a but price. I don't know. Everyone's got a price. I don't price. know. Everyone's got I'd a like price. to think I don't have a price. I get it. And listen, I, it's going to bother you, but the Patriots are fine with that. The Patriots are fine with the very fact that you're annoyed by it, that people are annoyed by it, that people are bothered by it, that people root against them. They root for their demise. They they enjoy that. They get off on it. Okay, Anthony, our producer, in my ear. You know, we haven't decided what we're going to make our bet on in terms of picks right. for college and pro. Anthony's saying maybe if I lose, I have to wear a Brady jersey. And yeah. if Moose loses, he has to wear a... I don't know. I got to think Cowboys? about that. Giants? No. Uh, no. I... Eagles? Mm, no, Obviously, Moose is a D.C. fan. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to come up. I'll come up with something. How about, how about a rival of Syracuse? Would that hurt more? Who's that? I don't know. Actually, with Basketball all the realignment, rival, yeah. it doesn't matter. Georgetown doesn't, jersey. Georgetown? Good luck finding one. Uh, yeah, I, like, I don't even know where to buy a Georgetown. I actually, jersey. I actually like Georgetown. 
<laughs> I do. It's uh, it's Lansing, Michigan. Zach it's Darren. Just moved. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Darren? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks, morning. first of all, for taking my call. Sure. Um, you know, I, I want to make I want to make a couple points. Uh, first of all, i I read the uh, I read the ruling by Judge Amos last night. I, I find that I'm kind of a geek that way. I find that type of stuff really fascinating. So I actually read it, read the entire report. It's it's stunning to which he found both Goodell's and Henderson's actions patently unfair. Uh, you know, focusing on two things that he neither one of them compelled Thompson to testify in front of, uh, you know, to be cross-examined or Goodell to be cross-examined by the Elliott team. And those are those are two of the things that he found the entire arbitration process to be, as he put it, unfair, basically from the get-go against Elliott. Fundamentally and unfair. So right. And so you're absolutely right that, you know, it, it has nothing to do with, with guilt or innocence about whether Elliott did or didn't do this, which that being said, then, then Moose, there's no point of bringing up, as you brought up a minute ago, of him lifting up a woman's top at a party who he ended up actually later having sex with. That has nothing to do with this case. It, uh, it, well, number one, it, I, I don't. I could care less what he does later on in the day. That behavior is deplorable. Right. So why do okay. you bring up the fact? Oh no, no, that, Moose was saying he needs to get his life together. Why do you bring? Up I the, thought the, that's what you were yeah, saying. Yeah. Why do you, you bring up the? Up why do you bring up the fact that he had sex with her later on in the day? Who the hell cares? Well, who cares that he lifted her top up? Because I it's deplorable care. behavior. But that has nothing to do okay. with it's this case. We're talking I mean, about two Darren, different things. We're talking about the, Zeke the you person do that? and Zeke. The... No, Darren, do you no, do that? I, no. When you go to, when you go no, to parade, no, I, I do you go down and pull people's think... tops down? Do you do that? Absolutely not. Okay, so is that good behavior or is that deplorable behavior? I'm also not 20 years old. It does not matter. He's a grown man. He's a grown man. He's a grown man. Act it. Okay. How about that? Okay. How about that, Aaron? How about this? How about you expect people to act like adults instead of like children? He's not 13 years okay. old. He's a grown man. You want to pay him millions of dollars? Act it. Yep. Act it. Grow the, the F up. Grow up, at Darren. Okay. Honestly. You want to call up? You want to support Ezekiel Elliott? You want to talk about how he had sex with the girl? I could care less. Were you in the room when he had sex with her that night? I could care less. If Ezekiel Elliott had sex with that woman last night, that behavior is deplorable and despicable. Despicable. And if you're going to go and come on the airwaves and say that is there because he had sex with her that night, I could care less. I could care less. Are you going to say, well, he was having sex with his ex-girlfriend, so he excused him beating her last July, allegedly? I could care less. I don't care. And why don't we do this? How about our society, instead of expecting so little... While we expect a lot, how about that? While we expect people to act like they're grown up instead of children, because if you expect people to act like children, they're going to continue to act like children. And that, to be honest with you, even if my five-year-old did that, I would, my four-year-old would do that, I would be absolutely ticked off as a parent. This is a grown man. You're giving him, he's making a lot of money. Act it. It's well said, Moose. I mean, he... It clearly needs to clean some things up. I mean, some of the tangential things that we found out through this investigation is, you know, like you said, the partying at Ohio State, everyone's in college, I get that, but like, you know, doing drugs. I mean, this is the thing. He's got so much to lose. And that, and yes, we should all be expecting a lot from us individually, whether you're rich, poor, whether you're in front of the camera, behind it, doesn't matter. But there is just so much for him 
to gain and so much to lose. It's like, why would you not be smarter about this, right? Why would you not just be a good person? Why wouldn't you understand you're in the limelight? Why wouldn't you understand that whether you want to be or not, you are a role model to a certain degree? And I think I agree with you. I, I don't think, I know I agree with you. Yes, just the, the common decency, just the decency. How about yeah. that? I mean, well, I think that's going by the wayside. Instead, in our society, we, we, we excuse a lot of behavior. We really do. Oh, we really do. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, Texas, Dwayne, uh, you're on Moose. CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Dwayne? Moose. Yo. Hey, how you guys doing this morning? Good. Now, I'm not just going to take up for him, but I'm going to stay on the other flip side of what you were just saying a few minutes ago because you're a little angry. I don't think you like Zeke too much right now. He is young. That's not an excuse. But when you keep saying on the radio, he beat his girl, how do you know that? Other I said allegedly beat his girl. The NFL believes he did. I, I know you said allegedly just a few minutes ago, but you've been saying he beat his girl. I mean, I, I, the, the NFL believes that he beat his girlfriend. How is that possible when the investigator, the lead investigator, says... That was one woman's opinion. That was one woman's opinion. There were four others that believed. There were four others that believed he did. Okay, so how many times has Zeke Elliott been accused of beating women? Once is enough. How many times you get accused of murder? Doesn't mean he did it, though. How many times you get accused of murder? Is it once enough? Come on, it doesn't mean he. You know he doesn't. Whether it's a court of law or we're just talking. This is not a court of law. Whether it is a court of law or not, it doesn't matter. You still get the benefit of the doubt and say, since someone said you the NFL investigated it for a year and they think that he beat his girlfriend. It doesn't take a year either. The guy had a valid point when he was saying he didn't say it should be. Who cares the timeline? That's nonsense. Why does it matter? It's nonsense. You're the one that said a year. I'm saying it doesn't take a year and it doesn't matter that it took a year. Either way, it doesn't matter. I'm simply saying to you, that until you prove that this person did it, he deserves that benefit. The N- this is not about the NFL, first and foremost. If you read, the, if you, this has nothing to do with innocence or guilt. This is about the process. Ezekiel Elliott was not vindicated it do, yesterday. It has to do with moves. Ezekiel Elliott, no, no, hold on a second. Honest. Ezekiel Elliott was not vindicated yesterday. If we're being honest, if we're truly being honest, you know what it really comes down to. Cents and dollars. Dollars. That's really what it comes down to. Comes down hey, to what? You're making my brand look bad. My brand is losing money, and I don't like that. That's really what it comes down to. When the CBA gave Goodell the autonomy to be able to be judge, jury, and prosecutor, that was their fault. Dwayne, that's their fault. Dwayne, can I ask you a question? Is it difficult to follow the law on a day-in-day basis? Of course not. Okay, so is that difficult to do? So why, why, why why do I need to scream and holler about a guy that doesn't follow the law? What law did he break? Well, honestly, the NFL believes, the NFL investigated for a year, and the NFL believes that he beat his ex-girlfriend. Does that mean it's On true? three occasions. Does it mean it's true? That's what they believe. And then so obviously. It doesn't mean it's true that he did it. Well, let me ask you this one question, and, and let's be honest about it. When she's saying, and they have this on record, saying, hey, let's ruin his life. Hey, let's People say a lot money. of things. People oh, say so a lot of things. Did he? Just, did, let me ask you this: Did he put his hands on her? Did he put his hands on her? I don't know that. Do you, well, do you, the NFL does. The NFL no, believes he did. They do not know that. You yes, know they, they do. That. They believe that. Why do you think they suspended him six games? You're smiling right now because you know why that's do you not think true. They, why do you think they suspended him six games? Moose, moose. 
Why did they just suspend Brady for four games? Oh, what is nothing? That was the that has to do with the the buildup over the years for the for the New England Patriots of cheating. So that had to do with that. That had to do with the the NFL sent a message. Can I ask you, Dwayne? Can I ask you a question? (laughs) Where are the two ball boys? By the way. Where are the two ball boys? They basically no own their own island and were given their own island by Robert Kraft. Where are the two ball boys that basically have disappeared if Tom Brady did absolutely nothing? I'm just They're millionaires. I'm just they are absolute millionaires because they hey. kept their mouth quiet. Because Brady was cheating. We all dollars. know he was cheating. Hey, it's dollars. It comes down to dollars. You know why is it? Business. Why do you have to go out for a guy that has not exactly lived the most reputable life in Ezekiel Elliott, right? Why? Wait, wait, why wait, am wait, I going? Wait, wait, wait. Why am I going to a that, scenario on, here, Moose? Let me ask you this question. What's that? Before this, before this ever happened, what was? What did he ever do that was bad? Wait a second. Before this ever happened, nothing. Yes, before, nothing. Before, he partied before. at Ohio State. I had no so issue he, with Ezekiel Elliott. So he doesn't have the propensity to be able to. He broke a man's nose. In Dallas, oh, pulled a woman's on. top down at a at a, a St. Patrick's Day parade, and last July the NFL believes he beat his ex girlfriend. Does it have anything to do with what that investigation was about? Those two things that you just brought up. You Dwayne, can bring up the bad things. There was Dwayne in the in the NFL handing out the six game suspension. They mentioned his behavior at St. Patrick's Day was deplorable. What? Can I, I, can I just jump I in for one second? Can I just jump in for one second? If you're talking about dollars and cents. Okay, doing one second. If if we're really talking about dollars and cents and you want to get down to like the real, real part of this, and if you think sure. that it's like that's the real thing behind this, then why would the NFL want to suspend for six games and now have this drag out for another two years one of the most high-profile players on the most popular team in the league? I mean, and that doesn't hated, make good dollars and cents and, for them. And most hated as well, and they have an image to upkeep. And there's a lot of other people other than Dallas Cowboys fans that are paying money, even though Dallas Cowboys are the highest making or highest grossing. That does not send a message to everyone else in the NFL and the people that are buying tickets to go out and watch an NFL game. They don't want to do that. They want to err on the side of caution. If there's any smoke whatsoever, they are going to do what they need to do. Plain and simple. I know, but, I but, think- but wouldn't that potentially hurt their bottom line? I mean, you, I look so. at we see football fans will tune in to watch people who have done things that are much, much worse than Ezekiel Elliott. So why would they ever want to damage the reputation or continue to damage the reputation of their most viable product and their most popular team? I mean, if yeah. we're just going dollars, 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 then Cowboys it actually would make sense. Cowboys are hated. Yeah, but no, they're loved and they're watched. I mean, and I, they're watched I, I more when they're, at, when they're at full strength. It's like they're not hated like the Patriots are hated, I don't think. They're not no, hated like that. No, no, it's not. But that's a different kind of hate. They just hate the Patriots because they're winning. I mean, I, I don't like the Patriots myself because I'm not there. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. But I know in my mind, it's always been like that. Well, with the but Cowboys. it's also with the Pats. It's the arrogance. Yeah, it's, it's the way different. that they carry themselves. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go along with it. And, and Dwayne, good debate, good conversation. I know. It'd be the but... Moose and Dwayne show. No, <laughs> I'll just be well, over no, here. No, no, no. It comes down to the scenario where, you know, I, I don't know. I find I find it, it, Elliot needs to, to wake up. And if this is not a wake-up call, that's going to be alarming for Elliot moving forward here as an individual. It really is. No and... matter what you think, it's even for the NFLPA, it's not easy to defend him. This is about the process 
But if you're defending him, he does have changes that he needs to make if he wants to be in this league for a long time. Because the trajectory that he's on right now is obviously not good. You're in your second year in the league and you're have this clouded over this investigation. It's not a good look for him. So even if you want to believe in the process and this is about process, you have to stand back and take a look and say, "Is this is not someone who I really want to go to the mat for. You know what I mean? This well, is not the person you want to be going I mean, out on the a, limb for. We had a for. guy call from East Lansing that said, well, he had sex with a girl that night, so therefore, what's the big deal that he pulled the top down and, and he's not, uh, you know, he's 23 years old. I mean, are we serious <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, coming up later, we got I mean, Sports Rewind Moose. We got our wake-up calls, which <laughs> I think will not I mean, be Ezekiel Elliott related. We'll leave that topic to the Jesus. side. We have plenty of football to talk about. The NFL, it's back. College football as well. It's the Moose and Maggie Show here, CBS Sports. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along here on this Saturday morning. It is Moose and Maggie, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Number to call to get involved. Let's get to it. A little sports rewind. Okay, Moose, let's go to September 9th, 1990. Woo! Pete Sampras won the U.S. Open at 19 years and 28 days, becoming the youngest man to ever win the tournament. And now Sampras defeated two tennis greats in the quarterfinals and semifinals to reach the final. In the quarters, he beat third-ranked Yvonne Lendl in five sets to break Lendl's streak of eight consecutive U.S. Open finals appearances. Up next was John McEnroe, who Sampras beat quite easily four sets, setting up a final match against fourth-ranked Andre Agassi. This was a dream matchup. Both Sampras and Agassi, young, up-and-coming superstars in the world of tennis. The finals turned out to be pretty anticlimactic as Sampras thoroughly dominated Agassi, winning in straight sets 6-4, 6-3, 6-2. The win gave Pete his first career Grand Slam title. He would go on to win 13 more for the all-time record of 14 career Grand Slam titles. However, in 2009, he was surpassed by Roger Federer, who currently owns 19 career Grand Slam titles. September 9th, 1990, Pete Sampras won the U.S. Open at 19 years old, 28 days, becoming the youngest man ever to win the tournament. And just on a side note, one of my personal favorites, one of my favorite athletes ever. So simple, the servant volley moose. Uh, yeah, I mean, the servant, the eyebrows, you know, yeah, it was great. I mean, and, uh, it was a great era of American tennis, Sampras, uh, you had Agassi, Michael Chang, um, let's not forget about Jim Courier. Um, and at that stage you had the old guard going out as well. And Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe, uh, you know, American men's tennis was was fantastic. And on the women's side was great, too, because you had Sellis yeah. and you had Steffi Groff and you had um, Jennifer Capriotti. I think right. Was that I was era. just looking at it from American yeah. men, I mean, perspective. I mean, that was kind of and, – and their brilliance carried on for a long time. I mean, Michael Chang won a French and – uh, we know about the brilliance of Pete Sampras, um, even though he, he never won a French Open. Um, and then you look at Andre Agassi, who did win uh, all four majors. I mean, it was a, a really, really good time for, for American men's tennis. Yeah. Uh, you know, women's tennis is always, you know, and, and they've been dominant. Women's tennis now, we have two, you had all four semifinalists this year uh, being women. Um, uh, one of them being Venus Williams. I Serena know. just had her first baby, so congratulations like- to Serena. But you know the Williams sisters have really dominated, and rightfully so. And specifically, really, Serena yeah. uh, has had an unbelievable career and might be arguably and is arguably the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Yeah, no, I think no doubt she is. I even think the best in the game think that she is. But, you know, I think it's a little bit interesting, and I'm, I'm loving that we're going to get this Sloan Stevens-Madison Keys final today. But I think it's a little almost ironic 
that you have the four women who made four American women who made it to the semifinals, and Venus included, obviously. But it's like the like in some ways peaking for American women's tennis, and yet it's ironic that Serena's not there. Yeah. It's like for so much, I mean, she was American women's tennis for yeah. so long, and along with Venus too. But it's like, oh, you're having this great moment. Everyone's paying attention. You know, all eyes, American women's. You got USA chants breaking out. Yeah. I haven't heard those in a while. And Serena's not there. Not there. It's just a little bit kind of weird to me. But no, Sampras was one of my favorites. I had never seen a man when I was pretty young that, you know, take off his shirt and see chest hair like that. Yes. It was like, whoa, I don't, what is going on? There you go. The full body little, wax little take old, a while for Pete Sampras. old school. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. It's summer's heat could cause your battery fluids to evaporate to get your battery tested for free. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the battery you need. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Moose, this is a funny one coming in on Twitter. Of course, you can reach us at Moose and Maggie, at Mark Malusis, at Maggie Gray. Easy to get in touch with us. Um, I love this one from Robbie who says the Pats opening ceremony on Thursday reminded me of Apollo Creed mm-hmm. in Rocky Five over the top entrance. Small point. It was Rocky Four. Still got a lot of LOLs though around the office because you remember when it was like James Brown, you know, yes. coming in with Rocky, yeah. uh, coming in with Apollo Creed rather, and then unfortunately we know what happens to Apollo oh, at the died. hands of Ivan Drago. Yeah, spoiler. Can you do a spoiler alert when the movie came out in 1985? Yes, but uh, no, eight. I don't think you can. That right, and unless. I mean, I think we're well past We're that. past the time, right. yeah. Yes. Uh, but I thought that was pretty funny we are talking about. <laughs> also, if you go on our Twitter handle now, <laughs> thank you for this, Anthony. Knows me too. I was just Chris. Who put this on? That was Anthony. Okay. The Pete, the Pete Sampras chest hair. <laughs> it's something else, man. It's, it's, a, it's artwork is what it is, <laughs> if, if you're into that kind of thing. Let's head out to Fort Worth, Texas. It's Ben at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Ben? Hey, guys. Um, I just kind of wanted to bring up uh, – an idea for y'all to mull over. Um, not going to try to defend Zeke. He's kind of a knucklehead. Uh, the only thing I want to say is, you know, the the thing that the NFL commission's office is trying to bait their trap with on Zeke Elliott is something that happened, or you know, that he was a he was accused of before he even joined the NFL, before he was drafted. So where do they get off trying to, you know, suspend the man? for something that he didn't do while he was employed by him. You couldn't be reprimanded for being late at your last job, so why should he be getting suspended now for something that happened before he ever even got there? Anyway, well, the let me NFL- get off and let you guys well, talk he, about he didn't get drafted. No, he was, was drafted. he was drafted. But the, also the NFL is they've, – they've went back and looked at people in college before it happened to Terrell Pryor, right? Correct, with the, yeah. Um, with, with everything in Ohio State, right. Uh, to, or exchanging jerseys, rather, for tattoos, which, you know, that scandal – looks a lot less, uh, you know, terrible than, than a lot of other things that we've seen lately in the yeah, college. Yeah, but he, he got drafted, so he, got drafted. he was a member of the Cowboys at that stage. Yeah, just because he hadn't played a game yet. Yeah, I mean, but he was Doesn't drafted. mean anything. Right, yeah. Texas we go. It's Terrence at CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Terrence? Good morning, Moose, Maggie. Good morning, um, Terrence. How are you, buddy? Fine. I called in a couple uh, weeks ago, talked to you guys about the Colin Kaepernick situation. Um... And I kind of wanted to hit on a couple of points. Um, I served uh, in the United States Army, um, and I'm a U.S. veteran. Um, and my 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 take on everything that's been going on with the Zeke Elliott thing is kind of 
back to Colin Kaepernick's point about um, injustice is being done. You look at um, the Josh Brown, the punter, kicker, I forget what position he plays for the Giants. Um, What happened with him last year um, being suspended one game with proof of him um, committing domestic violence um, against his wife. Um, Zeke is accused of of domestic violence, and he gets hit with six games. I understand, you know, the commissioner is in charge of the whole process and whatnot, but um, this kind of goes back to the point that Colin Kaepernick was making about racial injustices. Now, I know that a lot of people might not see it that way, but why is it that now that the man is no longer in professional football is getting hit with six games, for actually committing the crime, yeah. I, and Zeke, you know, it's it's alleged. Can you I just know, can I just jump in just for one sec? So there were a lot of and listen, I'm not going to defend anything that Roger Goodell did with regards to Josh Brown. Absolutely not. They bungled that to to the hill. But there is there was one point of contention here where the investigator. And I'm not excusing it, but this is what happened. The investigator that was in charge of uh, investigating the Josh Brown situation never identified that he was working for the NFL when he went to local police officers in, uh, in in the state of Washington to say, hey, I'm working for the NFL. We're trying to get information. Instead, he just was calling for information. They blew him off. And so the people in, in Washington, the law enforcement said, if you had said that you were working for the NFL, we would have cooperated with you. We thought you were just any Tom, Dick, and Harry out there. And so then after that happened, the NFL closed their investigation and laughably and very sadly only gave Josh Brown, was it one or two games? Now I don't remember. But one game. One game, and that was appalling. Then after the fact, the, the law enforcement in Washington said, here's everything we have. And that's when you found out about the diary entries and him saying uh, that he admitting that he had mentally and physically abused her, you know, and and all of that stuff came out after the fact. Then it took another however long it was from then until now for him to get six games. So I just want to make that point just because, you know, that that case was very much bungled. But there is a reason why is that the NFL's investigation of it was very off. So I feel like that's important to say. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, another point that I wanted to make was that, you know, I understand, you know, that the Players Association signed um, the collective bargaining agreement and gave the commissioner the power that he does have. Um, but I, I look at it like this, you know, I'm a father of, of two young boys. Um, there was a case. Um, in California of a high school football player, a star football player who was accused of raping a young lady and he went to prison, served time, and six years later, I believe, somewhere down the road, she later fessed up to lying. Um, You you know, there are a lot of cases. Terrence, there are not a lot of cases. I'm going to stop you right there. No, there aren't. No, there are not. Because they say that false rapes, that is less than 2%. Less than 2%. So, no, 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 there aren't a lot. And this is where you're going to touch a nerve with me. Because, no, there are not not a lot. And for people who will go out there and say that, you know, the uh, just accusing someone of of rape ruins their life. What about actually getting raped? 
no, you you misunderstood what I was about to say. I, I wasn't I wasn't comparing the, the the number of rapes that people lied that you misunderstood what I was saying. Well, to get to I the was point. Just speak, I was just speak specifically saying of women lying on men. It doesn't matter uh, of what case it may be. You know, uh, I was just specifically saying there are a number of cases of where a woman lies on a man. Okay, so I, it's I, a I woman's just, fault. I was right, right. using that. I was using that young man as a reference yeah. point. And, and you don't want to know how often that happens? Very little. Very right, little. Right. So you're cherry picking to try to prove a point when actually the statistics bear out that that doesn't happen very often. And you know what? It, if you're going to say you're a father to two young boys and that's something that you're afraid of, I mean, then that's on you because that's on you teaching your boys right from wrong. That's not on the woman. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there because this is too this that that it's too much. I'm not going to go there because this is such a small example. And you know what? Even if the woman and the the accuser Tiffany Thompson, even if she said to him, "I'm going to ruin your life," if she said that, does that mean that Zeke Elliott couldn't have hit her? Yeah. I mean, does both that, can do be those, true. Do, can both those things be true? Yeah, both can be true. There's no doubt about it. Both can be true. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to go there. I don't want to, and, and yeah, there are, there well, are terrible we get into examples. An idea, well, we get into an idea of just shaming the victim well, also, uh, about how she lives her life. I mean, even the call earlier in the hour, well, he pulled her top down while they had sex later. I, who cares? I well, mean, honestly. I mean, are, one has nothing to do with the other. There are terrible instances. There are these terrible yeah, cases where people get falsely accused and get put in prison, but they are such in the minority. And I just don't want that to be th- that it's like, well, Every, that it's all about, you know, th- that these women are out to get these men. Because let's be honest, that's very, very, very rare. No, and honestly, I, I it's it, more... But there are, I mean, listen. There are moves, but there are, are more women who don't come forward. No, and let's I, and let's Maggie, take another side I, I get, of this. I, I get it. I, I understand. But I mean, there, there are, just as there are bad men out there, there are bad women. There, I mean, with bad intentions uh, that are looking to, that are looking to, uh, to trap men, that are looking to uh, blackmail uh, especially when somebody has money, and it, it goes both ways. But I the mean, scales so, I mean, are so tilted. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're not. All I'm saying is there are examples of that. Not a. a, a there. There but the are exceptions, examples. not the rule. I mean, here's the thing, too. Right, this is one thing that is going to be a side of this case is that no matter what this may have proved, or you feel like it didn't prove in terms of the the case, the whether what Zeke did, what he didn't do. The one thing that will absolutely be true about this is that it will prevent the next woman from coming forward. And that's really what the sad thing is because this is going to get dragged out. I think it will, Moose. It's going to get dragged out. Her name now being, you know, she's gotten dragged through the mud. It's so disruptive, you know, that so few women who come forward anyway for so many reasons that someone who actually does cooperate and now has this to go through, I think the next woman might just say, you know, it's not worth it because no matter what I say, I'm going to get dragged through the mud. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, um, I think it's going to be a case of uh, – hopefully that's not the case. Um, maybe you're right, uh, but you could be wrong when you look at, uh, when you look at uh, that situation as well, Maggie. But, I mean, the whole situation, if you read everything that, that got released, I mean, you know, she's having sex with his teammates. I mean, it's just it – just, I mean, the whole – everything that comes along with it, I mean, both of them are – and. And listen, he's he's a deplorable young human being, and and her behavior is not exactly like you'd want a young woman to behave either. Uh, but what it all really comes down to, outside of all of that, uh, last July, what transpired in Columbus, Ohio, um, regardless of her behavior, 
regardless of his behavior in other situations, um, did the did he lay hands on her for whatever reason, and did he abuse her on three different occasions? The NFL believes he did. I mean, so that's why they suspended him six games. And yesterday was not about uh, innocence or guilt, and he was not vindicated. Uh, what uh, yesterday was about, and uh, the temporary restraining order was about the process more so than anything else, and that's completely what it was about. Let's get to a little wake-up call. Okay, let's end this thing on a high note here. Okay, Moose, my wake-up call this morning is going out to the University of Maryland Terrapins because they are running a promotion now where if the Terps return a punt for a touchdown in tomorrow's or today's second half, one Maryland student will win $10,000. But you know who's not eligible to win that money? The player who runs back the punt for a touchdown. And listen, you can have people who win uh, $10,000 or whatever by hitting a half-court shot at a basketball game or whatever. At least they have to do something to win it. This is you get $10,000 if someone else on the team does something uh, and shows their athletic prowess. You win ten k. So good for you. But I think this shows a little bit. It's a little hypocrisy here that someone else on the Maryland campus, another student, can win money by off the back of a Maryland football player. I think the Maryland really should have rethought this promotion before they put it out there because the guy who's doing all the work, the guy who's giving you the scholarship gets bubkiss. I mean, yes, he gets the scholarship. Well, he gets he a full cost of attendance, but he already has that. He doesn't, he can't even get a hundred dollar handshake after the game. That's totally illegal. So Maryland Terrapins, this promotion, y'all got to wake up. Uh, my wake-up call is I was uh, perusing on the internet the other day, right? And I saw, and it's it's kind of, you see it time and time again. They're remaking the movie Flatliners, right? And oh, that, yeah. And that movie's really not that old. Now, here's the issue I have, right, is we all, and the new iPhone will be introduced on Tuesday. Apple will do that, so that'll be a, and we're all talking about how how many great ideas our country has and the thing, and then you go to Hollywood, right? And you want to talk about a disaster. The movies were a nightmare over the course of the summer. Nobody went to the movies because the movies were terrible. And nobody cared. There was no July 4th blockbuster. There was no, hey, you got to go see there, get the big old bucket of popcorn, the soda, sit down there and sit for two and a half hours, watch the movie. How exactly do you make a movie in Flatliners that is maybe 25 years old? I mean, the original is like in 1990. I mean, you're looking at 27 years ago was the original, and you're remaking a movie from 1990. Not 1960, not 1950, 1990. Can we come up with some new ideas? Honestly, if you're in Hollywood, can you stop just remaking old movies? What are we going to I mean, remake The Karate Kid? What are we going to do here? They, re- I mean, they remade Point Break, and that was, was 1991. Which was terrible, and the remake was god-awful. Honestly, it was terrible. Can you come up with some new ideas in Hollywood? You want to tell us how brilliant you are? You know, how, how great the director is, the producer, everything. Can, can, you, can you come up with some original ideas? 1990, 27 years ago, they're remaking movies. What about It, Stephen King's It? That's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, ridiculous. And I like clowns. You're in the minority there. (laughs) Coming up next, we'll talk to Caitlin Thompson. We'll do a little tennis. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. 
Ah, yes, as we come to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Two down, two to play with, hours, that is, on this Saturday morning across the country, CBS Sports Radio, and let's talk a little bit about a little tennis, U.S. Open, well underway as we're uh, got the two matchups in the, the men's and the, the ladies' final. Let's welcome aboard Caitlin Thompson. Uh, Racket Magazine joins us now. Good morning, Caitlin. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm great. I'm actually headed to play some tennis. Oh, there you go. <laughs> are you a good tennis player, Caitlin? You know, I played D1 in college, but uh, my prime was probably about two decades ago. So just trying to hang on. There you go. Well, enjoy. Well, have, have a good match. Speaking of prime, I know. Have a good match. Hit him, hit him hard. Um, you know, speaking of primes, I was just talking to Moose about this before. And I just, I don't know what to make of this, Caitlin. Maybe you do. But I just find it a little ironic that we're having this sort of peak of American women's tennis, you know, four American women in the semifinals, and yet Serena's not here. You know, it almost feels like she's part of this. Obviously, Venus was a part of it, but it almost feels like she's part of it, yet she's not here. It's like, I I, I just find this sort of irony that we're celebrating American women's tennis, yet the best women's tennis player of all time, the greatest women's tennis player of all time, is not there. Yeah, it's a good point, and I think if it wasn't for Serena, and I think you would talk about this with the other three semifinalists, probably even including uh, Venus Williams, Serena's sister, Coco Vandaway, Madison Keys, Sloan Stevens. You know, these women uh, in the latter three cases grew up in the shadow of Serena and essentially look up to her and appreciate what groundwork she's laid for them. And so it's sort of, in a way, appropriate that they're all fans of hers, they're all supporters of hers, uh, you know, and in some cases when they're not facing off against the net, uh, you know, friends. And I think what was really touching and wonderful was after the semifinal round, Um, Serena tweeted her support directly at Madison Keys and Sloan Stevens, telling telling them both that she was gushing with pride. Um, So it feels like even though she's on uh, maternity leave, obviously she just had her baby uh, about two weeks ago, um, you know, she's a part of things, which feels somewhat appropriate. It does kind of feel like a passing of the torch moment, but um, for her to not be involved, would be a little bit sad. So it's, I, I, I feel really good about how it's come together. Yeah, and is this a case of um, American tennis, uh, Kaylin, uh, you know, because I, I don't follow tennis day in and day out. So is it a case of American tennis here taking advantage of an opportunity, or is it a case of American women's tennis here? And we know how brilliant Serena is, and she's the greatest of all time, but now the others of being able to take advantage of an opportunity or their games really coming along and they're going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with, these four women who rep- were there in the semifinals, aside from Venus, the other three, uh, of, of taking their game to another level. Absolutely. I would say definitely the latter. I mean, I know it's always tempting to, to look at a Serena-less tournament as being somewhat devoid of oxygen. But I think in this case, you know, the women's field is actually the strongest it's been in years. We have a sort of field of top 10 players, all of whom at any moment could win a slam. And that doesn't speak to the weakness of the, of the depth of the field. It speaks to the strength. Garbina Muguruza is dangerous on any day in any surface. Maria Sharapova had a pretty good run. Uh, Ossipenko obviously won the French, and she's a young and upcoming sort of firecracker out of Latvia. So I think it speaks to the fact that Sloane Stevens and Madison Keys, in particular, our two finalists, have finally been realizing the potentials of their game. Um, and stepped up on the big stage. We've seen it before from both of them in flashes. They've both made deep runs at tournaments. Uh, Sloane Stevens actually kind of announced her arrival on the scene a couple of years ago, shocking Serena in a quarterfinal at the Australian Open, and everybody basically was waiting for her to follow up with the results. Uh, and now it's happened. So as for me, this represents them 
getting ready to really take their place at the top of the game, not necessarily just benefiting from Serena being out. We're talking with Caitlin Thompson, Racket Magazine. She also has the podcast called The Main Draw. I encourage you guys to check it out, all tennis fans out there. You know, Caitlin, it's like, you know, tennis so benefits from rivalries. And even when people, if they're friendly off the court, like, you know, you saw back in the day when even when Federer and Nadal were like at their peak rivalry, like Federer would like pick up Nadal at the airport. You know, there's always like this sort of respect there. But do you think that Madison Keys and Sloan Stevens have an opportunity to be a great tennis rivalry? Because we just know how much and what that does for the sport. I think so, too. And I think the fact that they both came of age with basically people asking the same kind of questions as Moose just asked, which is, you know, beyond Serena, what is the state of American tennis? Or beyond Venus, how, how good is the field? And I think both of them have kind of grown up with the idea that they're going to have to prove themselves once Serena and Venus are, are done with the game. And, you know, at 36 and 37, respectively, it's hard to imagine that's going to be much longer. Um, I think what is interesting about rivalries and what makes the Nadal-Federer rivalry so compelling is their contrasted styles. Really, that's what people tune in for. They're friends off the court. They have, you know, ironically, they have exactly the same body size. People think of Nadal as being much more ripped and Federer as much more wiry. But the fact is they're literally physical specimens that are almost identical. So the parallels between their two games mainly are, are visible only in their style of play. And in this case, you have a very similar thing going on. Madison Keys has a very long, elegant, beautiful, classically sort of trained game. If I were teaching a player to emulate one of the women, I would teach them to look at Madison Keys' ground strokes in particular. Her serve is very smooth. Then you look at Sloane Stevens. She's more of a raw athlete. She's kind of built more like a gymnast. She's got incredible retrieval power, and she can go from defense to offense really well. So if you're going to cast these two characters, Madison Keys definitely plays a little bit more of the Federer mold, um, and, and Sloane plays a little bit more of the fighter uh, retriever mold that Nadal does. So that, to me, has the makings of a good rivalry. And the fact that they're friendly off the court and hopefully will be pumped up to play each other in what we hope is not just one Grand Slam final, to me means uh, we have a lot to be optimistic about. You know, it's interesting you mentioned being friendly off the court, Caitlin, uh, because th does that take away from it on the court, uh, the the separation, because, you, you know, you are friendly? Because sometimes, you know, we, over the course of history, usually with the best rivalries or the best matchups, you know, people that may, you know, might deal with the others but might not love them. What about the relationship off the court affecting maybe potentially the matchup on the court because Serena and Venus, as brilliant as they were, you didn't get great matchups between the two sisters when they'd meet up in these tournaments. No, you're absolutely right. Their matches were sort of famous for being uneven, um, and one sister would usually kind of dominate the other. Uh, only a few times did they actually match up. I I'll say this. It has not hurt the Nadal-Federer rivalry, nor has it hurt the Murray-Djokovic rivalry in the sense that those guys – uh, seem to be friendly enough off the court. But I'll tell you what, as a journalist covering the sport, it makes for a lot more fun yeah. uh, when you have a little <laughs> bit of off-court drama that you can bring into it. And that actually brings me to something that I was hoping we could talk about a little bit, which is the fact that Martina Hingis is going to be in the doubles final on Sunday. And Martina Hingis is one of the most hated players ever. Uh, and she's actually playing against the Czech woman on, fr on Sunday, uh, whose doubles partner she broke the face of last year during the Rio Olympics. So people ask me what I'm watching for this weekend, and we can talk about any one of the matches because I'm all excited about all of them. But the doubles, women's doubles match will actually be kind of funny and interesting because Martina Hingis is one of these players that nobody really likes, and she has 
Uh, she's playing against a player uh, against whose partner she she incited pretty grave injury. So that's wow. something to your point, Moose, that I'm I'm excited about because it gets to sort of the off the court, uh, you know, a little off the court. Caitlin, what, what time is when is that match? What time is that match? <laughs> I'll be locked. I'll be locked into go. that one, Caitlin. <laughs> now you got, I got you excited. It's before the men's okay. uh, the men's singles final on Sunday. There yeah, you go. yeah, the all the doubles is before, and then the mixed doubles I think is usually after, right? Or maybe I'm getting that wrong. But no, you got it right. And Hankus is actually also in the mixed doubles final. She's right. a beast. She's uh she's uh, somebody to watch, and she goes through partners like uh, somebody on a soap opera. She doesn't <laughs> like them after a season. She's done with them. Now she's playing mixed doubles with Jamie Murray, who is uh, Andy Murray's brother. Very interesting. Okay, uh, yeah, I think that people didn't like Hingis because she always looked like she was smiling. Even That was just like her face, you know, and I think that maybe there's some more stuff there. But, you know, speaking of off the court, Caitlin, the book hasn't come out yet, I don't think nationally, but a couple advanced copies have been floated out. Maria Sharapova uh, has written like a memoir, and in it she says some very interesting things about her relationship with Serena. She said that she doesn't think Serena likes her because Sharapova was always the thin one. And mm-hmm. that, you know, once Sharapova saw her cry, saw Serena cry, and she always felt vulnerable. It's like, I don't know. To me, I always thought that Serena, you know, people who wanted to pump, to pump up their rivalry, I mean, Serena destroyed Maria Sharapova over the years. Sharapova, I think, beat her twice. I think Serena beat her like 16 times. I mean, it was not really a rivalry. How do you think that book is going to be received? It's interesting. My partner, David, who I do Bracket Magazine with, has written a review of it for the Financial Times, uh, which is embargoed until Sunday, I believe. Um, and he and I were talking about it because he said it's actually very, very well written. Uh, he, uh, she apparently got a really great ghostwriter. So the quality of the prose, which is not necessarily the case for any athlete uh, autobiographies, is Fruit quite up. good. Yeah. However, people are losing their minds, especially on tennis Twitter, which is sort of uh, a viciously fun place to hang out if you are a newbie to tennis. Um, they are trashing Maria Sharapova, basically, for trying to basically paint their rivalry, which, as you note, Maggie, is not much of a rivalry. Uh, Maria Sharapova hasn't beaten Serena Williams in a tennis match in more than a decade. I think it's now going on 13 years or something. It's crazily one-sided. But Maria Sharapova has basically painted herself as the victim, sort of basically painted Serena as a, a bullier, and talked about how Serena's body is more intimidating and more muscular and more sort of intimating that it's masculine. It's not a great look for Maria Sharapova. Uh, it's never a good idea to sort of cast shade on your uh, opponents. It's less a good look when you have not had a winning record or even a winning match against them in more than a decade. Uh, so it's probably not, given how good Maria Sharapova is at branding and self-promotion, an accident that all of this lascivious stuff is what is being leaked and talked about, because I'm certainly going to pick it up, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, a smart, I mean, listen, in terms of a marketing ploy, it's not the worst one. It really isn't. No. Yeah, Caitlin, I'm, I'm interested. How do you view Sharapova as on the court coming back from the suspension? I'm going to tell you something, uh, two things, actually. Number one, nobody wants it more than Maria Sharapova. Her Russian fury that gets unlocked on the court, her focus, her single-mindedness, which sometimes hurts her as a tennis player because she doesn't always have a plan B, is admirable. And I find I emotionally respond to it when I watch it. So I don't love her game. I don't think it's necessarily the most graceful or elegant or uh, sort of classically beautiful. But I have to admire just the grit. She is somebody who, if we were going to war, I wouldn't mind being behind her, you know, on the front. And the second thing is, um, this is not. This is something I've talked a little bit about. I actually happened upon some meldonia, which is the doping drug that Maria Sharapova got banned for for a year, a little bit more than a year. 
and I actually took it. This was about a month ago, uh, and I wrote about it for Deadspin because it seemed like a fun experiment to sort of see what, in fact, the effects of this drug, this Latvian heart medication that had been legal for years and years, she'd been taking it for years and years, and all of a sudden had uh, been banned under the rule change, found in her bloodstream and caused her to be kicked off the tour. Only now is she really recovering ranking points and coming back. And I have to tell you, after taking this drug uh, myself, I have more sympathy than for Maria Sharapova than ever. I think the rules of doping are actually very arbitrary. The drug itself helped me a little bit in terms of recovery, what I was able to do day in and day out. And as I said, I'm 20 years out of my peak of playing tennis, so the fact that it helped me not be sore and be able to get back out there on the court was helpful. But it didn't give me, you know, an extra arm or change my tactics. So I'm actually pretty sympathetic to Maria Sharapova, and I actually think she was made a bit of an example of uh, in terms of the doping suspension. So I wholeheartedly am supporting her. I think she served her time. She was honest about it. Um, and like I said, her Russian fury is really admirable. So I will always, almost always, I should say, root for Maria Sharapova just because I think she makes the game more interesting. We're talking with Caitlin Thompson, Racket Magazine, The Main Draw podcast. You can follow at The Main Draw as their Twitter handle. You know, it's it's really interesting about that because I think that for as brilliant as Sharapova is in terms of her marketing, I thought she played the drug suspension all wrong. You know, I, I, she she was like apologizing for it, like she went in and robbed an orphanage and then burned it down on the <laughs> way out. You know, it's like it was a drug that was not on the ban list. Then it became on the ban list at the beginning of the year, right? In January, they popped her for it two weeks later. And yes, she should have known. She definitely should have known. But like, it wasn't a federal crime. You know, I, I, I just thought that she responded to that a little too over the top. Um, all right, Caitlin, we should probably talk about the men's side. <laughs> Uh, we've been talking about the women, which is awesome. Let's talk about Rafael Nadal and Kevin Anderson. You know, I always get a little wary when a guy celebrates just getting to the final like he won the final. And yeah. hats off to Kevin Anderson because he's uh, 31 years old. He's Six, never eight. He's never won a fi- never been to a final before, let alone won one, obviously. And he was up in the stands, you know, like he had just, you know, won the U.S. Open. He still has a match to play. Do you think that could hurt him at all? And, you know, Nadal is just playing so well right now. I don't know if anyone can beat him. Uh, It's hard to imagine a more lopsided uh, final in terms of the odds. Uh, Kevin Anderson, big man, South African, was out for the past couple months, uh, sort of in and out with injuries. Uh, He sort of derisively sometimes is known as a bit of serve bot meaning he holds the serve really easily. Of course, he's 6'6", so he just thunders that thing in. But then the rest of the game, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired. Rafael Nadal, especially the way he played last night against Del Potro, losing a pretty decisive first set against Del Potro, who hits laser beams basically from the baseline, adjusting, making a huge tactical choice to do something different and dial up his level, which in that way that only sort of Rafael Nadal and a few others can ever possibly hope to do. I can't say that this is a uh, this is a tough lineup for Nadal. Nadal has never lost to Kevin Anderson, um, and certainly he's going to be enjoying the support of the crowd. So I, I, I am looking as a tennis fan for things to get excited about, um, and one of the things that I am getting excited about in terms of this final is if you told me at the beginning of 2017 that the Grand Slams would be shared equally between Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, two men who had taken huge chunks of time off the previous year, had not been in the top handful of rankings, ranked male players, uh, and that they were, in fact, going to dominate this 2017 season, I would have laughed in your face. And so to me, that is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the coronation, which is not always something I look for, but it's so hard to imagine Kevin Anderson even winning a set against this guy. So for me, it'll be 
you know, looking for that familiar. Rafael Nadal collapses in a heap on the on the on the ground. Pan to Uncle Tony in the stands, his illegitimate uncle, who's also sort of his crusty coach, who's this is his last year traveling with his nephew. Um, I'm looking for the sort of nice bow on a package of 2017 that has been incredibly exciting, especially for this old guard of tennis. And Caitlin, final one, the ladies' final. Who ends up being the champ? I have to like Sloane Stevens. Uh, Madison Keys, if she's playing perfect, can beat Sloane. She has more firepower, but Sloane has a can find a way to win. And Madison Keys is still kind of figuring out what to do when her A game isn't working. And so Sloane, to me, is a more athletic player. She's a little bit more resilient. And I think if once some cracks in the facade of Madison Keys appear, Sloan will be able to sort of ta- take, uh, you know, take advantage and pounce. But I actually see this match as being very, very equal. I think there's going to be a lot of swings of momentum. So anybody today, clear your calendars, get in front of a TV and watch Madison and Sloan, and frankly, watch the future of women's tennis. Caitlin Thompson, Rocket Magazine. Caitlin, fantastic as always. Have a good match this morning, all right? Thank you very much. Caitlin, the best. Racket Magazine, the main draw podcast. In terms of interviews, I mean, that was a straight sets win. I just, I yeah. love, I love listening to Caitlin talk tennis. It's awesome. Let's do, we'll, we'll do some college picks coming up as well. Ooh, we'll yes. do that next. You missed last week. I know. We have did to figure you send out your picks in? I did send my oh, picks did. in. Oh, you did? Yeah, of course I did. I wasn't sure. You're I'm on coming vacation. hard for you this season. I, I understand. This is not, not going to be another Moose landslide. We were 3-0 and last week. I know. I, I went 2-1. and one. We We're 3-0. and oh. 3 0, baby. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right That's there it. with you. Hot start. Start hot, stay hot. That's it. Moose and Maggie with you. CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, it is the Moose and Maggie Show rolling right along here on this uh, Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, Maggie, on her vacation last week in Delaware, was able to sell Anthony and her selections. So yeah. she went 2 and 1 last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two and one. I went perfect three and zero. Oh. Yeah, perfect. A and M wall still covered. Per, they, <laughs> perfect three and zero oh last week as we try and uh, keep it rolling here. Five and one combined a week ago. Uh, week two, big college football Saturday. Let's hit it. All right, Maggie Gray. Yes, Moose. Where do you want to go? Why don't we start with? Uh, let's start with. Stanford and USC. You want to go there? Sure. I'm seeing Stanford as, uh, let's see, USC minus six. Is that what you're getting? USC minus, I had no, five and a half. Five minus and a half. five and a half. All right, I'm going to go Stanford here, and I'll take the points. Um, I think this is going to be a very entertaining game. I mean, I understand people think that, excuse me, I think the USC is going to have a little bit of a, of a bounce back after, you know, a little shaky against Western Michigan a week ago. But I love Stanford in terms of their lines. Uh, I think that lines always travel well. Um, I think that that Stanford's going to keep it close here. Uh, love the running backs there. I'm trying to get to my notes here. But, yeah, give me the Stanford. Give me the points. All right. You're going to take Stanford plus the five and a half. Yes. We'll disagree. I'll take USC, lay the five and a half. Okay. Uh, I think the Trojans last week did not look particularly good. Everyone started – not everyone. There were some that critical of Sam Darnold's play. Game was a game uh, late in the game in the fourth quarter before USC was able to push ahead – uh, to open up their season with a victory. With that being said, um, I think Darnold has a big bounce back game. Um, Stanford's better, and and they're good, and they're going to be one of the teams that compete for that Pac-12 championship. I think the USC at home wins this game by a touchdown as Sam Darnold tries to bounce back individually in a big-time way, and when he bounces back, USC usually bounces back. Give me the Trojans laying five and a half. That's pick number one. Okay, you want to go to matchup of all Tigers or you want to do Notre Dame in Georgia? No, let's go uh, Auburn-Clemson, then we'll do Oklahoma-Ohio State. Yeah, okay, so let's go Auburn-Clemson. 
Uh, I am seeing that this is a Clemson minus five. Correct. And I'm going to I'm going to take the points here too. I think Auburn's going to keep it close. I'm interested in two defenses, two perhaps two of the best defenses in the country. But curious to see how Auburn's defense is going to show up here. I think this is going to be a nail biter. Although I do like Kelly Bryan how he per- performed a week one against Clemson, although inferior opponent. Same thing with Auburn and their week one opponent. Uh, this is a major test. I, I think it's going to be an awesome both defensively to figure it out, both quarterbacks figuring it out, but I do believe Tigers, Auburn that is, going to keep it close, so give me the plus five. Yeah, I'm going to take Auburn as well. I'm going to take the five as well. Uh, Listen, Clemson's defense is great, uh, but they've got a lot to replace on that offensive side of the football. I I think Auburn's really good. I think they're a pretty good team. I think people that are going out there and telling you that uh, the SEC is on a downturn, and listen, they might not be as, as typically strong as they were seven, eight years ago. They're still a really good conference. I think Auburn's got an opportunity to go into Death Valley and win this game and beat Clemson. I think it's a field goal game. Uh, maybe the Tigers end up winning with a field goal late. That is Clemson, that is. But give me Auburn. I'll take the five. I think it's too many for a quality team, well-coached team. Give me Auburn plus five, game number two. Yeah, and Baylor, obviously, their quarterback, Jared Stidham, has started big games before OSU, Kansas State, stuff Correct. like that. Okay, let's go. Final game. This is the nightcapper. This is the big one. Oklahoma goes to Ohio State. I'm seeing the line Ohio State is a minus seven and a half, and I'm actually going to take the points here. I think Oklahoma is going to be able to keep it close. I don't like anything really over a touchdown for, I think, competition that's going to be this, this close. I know OSU, they proved against Indiana. They can just wear you down at times. You know, really good defense, obviously. But give me Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, keeping it close on the road. So I'll take the plus seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going to take Ohio State. I'll lay the seven and a half. And the reason why is I just don't think Oklahoma's defense travels. I mean, they don't play defense in the pack, in, in the Big 12 in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they'll put up showboat and show pony numbers every single week, and they'll put up a lot of points. And um, and for the majority of those Big 12 teams, unfortunately, I just don't see a lot of defense. Now I'm asking them to go on the road, Ohio State, night game, Columbus, Ohio, and to beat a Buckeye team that's had a little bit of extra time to prepare for Oklahoma as well, where I think the strength of Ohio State to begin the year is the defense and especially the defensive line. And I think Barrett and the offense will be able to score on that Oklahoma defense because I don't think Oklahoma's defense is particularly good. So, therefore, I'll go with the better defensive team. That's Ohio State. They're home. I think they win the game by double digits and send a message early on. Give me the Buckeyes laying the seven and a half. Okay, so I'm taking the points at all three games this week. I'm taking Stanford plus the five and a half. I'm taking Clemson plus the five and Oklahoma plus the seven and a half. All right, you're taking no. You're taking Auburn plus the five. Excuse me, Auburn plus the five. Okay, My right. That you no worries. Just make a clarification. Yeah, okay. Auburn plus. I'm taking all road teams in the points. Okay, I'm taking Auburn plus the five. Ohio State home laying seven and a half kickoff seven thirty tonight. Buckeyes, and then I'm taking uh, USC at home laying the five and a half. Um, out west against the Stanford Cardinals. So there you go. I better hope that these road teams showed up to play. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, at O'Reilly Auto Parts, you'll get better parts, better prices every day. We'll have the parts you need at the with the uh, to get the job done right with quality parts and accessories at guaranteed low prices. And the store's well-trained professionals standing by to help. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices. Every single day. Let's hit the guest line. Ralph Russo joins us. Associated uh, Press, college football writer, AP writer. Does a fantastic job. Good morning, Ralph. How are you, buddy? 
Hey, what's going on, Moose? How's everything? All right. Oh yeah, you know, hey, we're we're in we're in my favorite time of the year. It's college football season. There's huge games today. Um, no, no reason not to like what's going on. Ralph, it's been a while. Haven't talked to you in a while, uh, but couldn't think of a better week to be sitting down. Now we just made our picks a, a segment ago. And I picked uh, three road teams, and I took the points. I took Stanford, uh, I took Oklahoma, and I took Auburn. Am I crazy? Well, you might be crazy, Maggie. I don't know if you, this is the reason why, though. Um, I think I think all of those teams have a good chance to win. I was looking at those games, like the big games myself, and thinking, you know, these are all these are all good road teams with a possibility to win. And I think all these games will be relatively close. Um, I think if we're lucky, they'll all be relatively close. Uh, I, I'm, I guess a little more skeptical with Oklahoma. Um, I, I just, boy, I think the Buckeyes are really loaded. And I know, you know, we nitpick on them. What, what we saw last week, cause they, they sort of stumbled around or at least they didn't separate themselves for three quarters until Indiana. But you know, that fourth quarter counts and they turned, you know, some routine plays into some really big plays that really stacked with athletes. So it'll be a fun night of games. I just, my, my big complaint is all these games are on at once and I'm going to be at Notre Dame, Georgia. So I, that'll be my focus, but it'd be nice if they spaced these games out a little bit. All right, let's, let's start and let's run through some of these games, shall we? And let's start with, uh, with Clemson and Auburn. Uh, 7 o'clock tonight, Death Valley. Uh, Auburn coming to town against the defending national champs. Ralph, what should we look for in this one? I don't think very many points. Um, both of these teams are, are pretty stacked on the defensive side. Uh, the, the Probably the most interesting matchup is, you know, Clemson might have the best defensive line in the country with Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Uh, Auburn's offensive line is really good. Um, they, they've, they've got some experience and some depth. Uh, some interesting new players. Braden Smith is a guard who's one of the best in the country. You know, you obviously Jared Stidham thrown into the mix there. He had an okay opening for Auburn as their as their new quarterback, the transfer from Baylor. Uh, I think they're probably going to need to get a little more out of him to beat a team like Clemson. But I, I, it's I, again, both teams are pretty well stacked defensively. I think the big question is, and the big question of the season with, with Clemson is what are they going to get out of Kelly Bryant, the new quarterback? What are they going to get out of this rebuilt offense? And this is a, a day where we'll really get a sense of how good that new, you know, new offense, new in the sense of, of, of new key players will be. We're talking with Ralph Russo, Associated Press, run around some of the biggest games today. Ralph, you're going to be at this game, so let's talk about it. Notre Dame and Georgia. Um, you know, side story, obviously, this new Deadspin report and a report about another alleged rape that happened last year on the college campus of Notre Dame. Obviously, hate that stuff, and it seems weird to talk about a football game when that stuff's going on, so I feel like I have to acknowledge it. In terms of football, though, I mean, is that going to be a distraction today, do you think, for Brian Kelly, and how do you see this game? I think, and from being here all week, um, there's a couple of side stories going on. There's that. There's a player who... who who sued over his the treatment of an injury. Um, those things seem to be very much sidebars this week. I'm not saying that they're not serious issues, but it right. doesn't look like they're seeping into the team or, or seeping into, into the, the game in, in any way. So now you have Notre Dame giving – you know, given a chance to really make a statement that all of Brian Kelly's changes in the off season, new coordinators, new way of new new uh, strength and conditioning coach, new way of sort of you know sort of approach to coaching, new culture, 
are those things taking? This is now, you know, listen, they got 10 more games after this, so they could still have a good season. But this is a way, I think, in a season where there's some pressure around Kelly, some pressure around Notre Dame, a lot of skeptics, this is a way of sort of alleviating that, getting a nice early win. Everybody sort of eases, eases, you know, sort of calms down and goes, okay, listen, it looks like it's going to be better than last year when they went four and eight. And on the Georgia side, you know, not quite as much pressure. I think the, the interesting thing is there's going to be a ton of Georgia fans here. Uh, this is the first time they've ever played in South Bend, and there were Georgia fans everywhere around here yesterday. I mean, they're thinking that there could be as many as like fifteen or 20,000 Georgia fans at Whoa. this game. Yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, and I definitely think, you know, as much as Kelly said this is not a validation game, I tend to look at it as something of a validation game for, for Notre Dame. You think Notre Dame wins, Ralph? I don't. I think um, I think it's, it's a close game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame win. But, you know, I, I picked Georgia. I really think that Sonny Michel and Nick Chubb could do a lot of damage to a Georgia, to a Notre Dame defense, which is, you know, they hope will be improved, but just doesn't have a lot of depth and talent in the front seven. All right, let's head uh, to the big horseshoe, Ohio State and Oklahoma tonight uh, in Columbus, Ohio. The Buckeyes, clearly the better defense. They don't play much defense in the Big 12. What about uh, with the Sooners coming to town? What should we expect in this one tonight, Ralph? Yeah, I think you're, you're on to something there. That's kind of why I went with Ohio State again. Listen, Baker Mayfield, the, the Oklahoma quarterback, is tremendous. It reminds me a little bit of a Russell Wilson in that he's he's under I don't know what he'll be in the NFL but he's a little undersized so we don't really think of him as an NFL prospect but he is mobile and super accurate and this is a game where you know if Oklahoma a couple of things going on here beyond just you know the immediacy of the game if Oklahoma goes in there and beats Ohio State it really sets up the Big Twelve so much better to yeah. put a team in the playoff they've missed two of three. Um, and I and I think that one of the problems the, the the Big 12 has had is they haven't won enough of these really big regular season uh, non-conference games. The other thing I think it does is Mayfield's a two-time Heisman finalist. If you win in Columbus, and it, it, there's no way he's not going to have a good game if they win. It, it seems very unlikely that they could win with him not playing well. If they go in there, win, and he plays well, he's probably the Heisman front runner and has a chance to really sort of, you know, take some momentum into the into the heart of the season because you know he's going to put up good numbers in, against Big 12 defenses. I think it's a great point. You know, I think that also starting your Heisman campaign as early as possible, I think, has proven to help. Uh, we're talking with Ralph Russo from the Associated Press. It's funny, you know, you mentioned the comparison to, to Russell Wilson there. I've been asking a couple people, Ralph, if there's a Sam Darnold comparison. And, of course, you're going to have USC and Stanford uh, at uh, in Southern Cal today. But, like, is there a comparison you're hearing or seeing about Sam Darnold? You know, the, the one that I, I, I haven't – talk to somebody specifically who gave me this comparison. So I'm going to sort of have to try to create one myself. And and you hate, you I hate, I think you should always be careful of comparing anyone to Aaron Rodgers. But the reason why he came to mind is just because Darnold does so well on the move. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily a take-off-and-run guy, but a lot of his best plays are done when – um, things break down a little bit, and he can sort of move around and and make a play on a you know either on the run or on the move. So nobody's better at that than Aaron Rodgers. Maybe I can come up with a better uh, comparison than that. But that was the guy who came to mind just because of Darnold's athleticism. You know, 
uh, going back to the Heisman, obviously that's not the most important thing that's going on tonight. Stanford has beaten USC three times and six of the last eight, or is it, I think seven of the last nine, which is unheard of in this rivalry. And a lot of times they have just pushed USC around that they've simply been the more physical team. I think that's the danger for USC tonight. As far as the Heisman for Donald, you know, again, it's early in the season, so much can change, but he didn't play well last week. If he has another clunker this week, here's a guy who had so much hype during the offseason, and all of a sudden if you start the season with two bad games, uh, you got a lot of ground to make up. So two things going on with USC. First of all, they've got to establish themselves as being as physical as Stanford. And the second thing is if Darnold really is, uh, you know, he can still win the Heisman and play a, an iffy game today, but it would really, really help him. If he if he comes out there and asserts himself today, you know what about this Stanford team and this challenge against USC and against Sam Darnold? Uh, you know, this is a team that I think is still trying to establish whether they have a good complement to their running game. Uh, Keller Chris played well at the end of last year, and then he got hurt. Um, he didn't necessarily he has not necessarily played great against great competition. Uh, you know, he took a lot of the offseason. He missed spring practice and all those things. So I think if, if, if they can prove that they have a passing game to go with that running game, that's part of their, their, their you know, the main focus of, of how they'll be really good. You know, they're, they're probably not going to be quite as good defensively last year. They lost to Almond Thomas, or, or excuse me, as they were last year. So I, I think there's going to have to be some offensive development. But again, the biggest thing that Stanford relies on is its physicality, and that's the one thing that really they've hit USC in the mouth over the last few years, and USC has not hit back. So, so to me, that's the key to this game. Does USC punch back? Ralph, you run through the game. What was your takeaway week one? Um, you know, early season learn about teams. What was your takeaway from the opening weekend? Uh, I mean, I think Michigan, you know, it's hard to – get a, a, a definitive read because you know Florida had all those suspended players and Florida has had such a tough time developing their quarterback and getting that offense ready. But, I, you know, I, I we, we talked so much about how bad Florida was. I think that maybe we forgot to talk about how good Michigan looked. Michigan has got some serious dudes on that defense, and I think the only question was going to be, you know, a lot of guys were, who are not very experienced being relied on more than they were last year. So I sort of steered to, hey, let's start giving Michigan a little credit here for what we saw last week. Michigan could end up being really good in a year where they have, what, you know, four returning starters. Yeah, it'd be a huge accomplishment. And don't worry, because Jim Harbaugh will tell you all about what a great accomplishment it will be. Uh, Ralph Russo with us. You know, Ralph, just a, a quick look at the teams from Florida. And obviously with this weather just sort of bearing down and Hurricane Irma just bearing down on Florida, we're all thinking about the people down there and hoping they say stay, stay safe. Football-wise, though, in terms of the games that are being canceled, I mean, what's happening there? Can you update us on sort of how this could wreak a little havoc on the season? Yeah, well, I think for the the – the, what we think of as the Power Five teams, Miami, Florida State, Florida, uh, not too much concern as far as how this will play out for the – how missing these games will play out for the rest of the season. They were non-conference games, so they're not going to impact standings. All of these teams should have a good enough season where they're not necessarily, like, screwing around with their bowl chances. I think the, the, the place where it could be more complicated is in the American Athletic Conference where they had to cancel two conference games. USF's you know, trip to UConn and Memphis playing at UCF, 
you know, they don't know where they're going to make up those conference games, and that'll be a little tricky. Long term, I guess the bigger issue is, are the, I mean, this storm looks so scary. Are there effects that bleed into, that bleed into next week where all of a sudden now Miami plays Florida State? Can you play that game in the state of Florida? I think that's, a, that's an interesting question. Now, that game's supposed to be in Tallahassee, but I think it's those things. Like, what happens long-term? Yeah. Can yeah. these teams start playing next, next week? Yeah. Ralph Russo, Associated Press. Ralph, um, enjoy South Bend and enjoy Georgia and Notre Dame later on tonight, all right? And we appreciate uh, you giving us a couple minutes this morning, bud. Thanks, guys. Anytime. You got it, and he does a fantastic Ralph's job. Ralph's the best. Yeah, follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, Ralph Russo, I think AP, yep. uh, is his uh, Twitter handle and does a great job. And he'll be in uh, watching the Golden Domers taking on Georgia, where um, yeah, I, I do like Georgia in the game, but uh, it's a big year for Brian Kelly and for the Fighting Irish. I mean, I, squarely on the hot seat. Yes, Brian Kelly no after question. a four and eight season, all that other stuff that's going on away from the field, which just, just seems like they can't escape that. Uh, coming up next, though, we're going to talk to Amy Dash, CBS Sports legal analyst. We kicked off the show talking a lot about Zeke Elliott. We're going to get the thoughts of a professional next. It's the Moose and Maggie Show here on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Hour number four here as we come to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. You know, Moose, we play that rejoinder. Yeah. We've been playing it for, for a lot of years now. Yeah. And I remember that conversation we had about Vin Diesel. And yes. then, you know, not too long ago, I saw Saving Private Ryan again. Yeah. Yeah, Vin Diesel was, like, really good in that movie. Yeah. I was, think, I was thinking about, like, The Fast and the Furious and Triple X. Gotcha. Triple X was really the one I thought really put you over. That, that... But Saving Private Ryan, he was good in. Yeah, he was good. Um, I feel like I owe it to Vin Diesel. Yeah, I got you. Don't worry about Vin. <laughs> We've He's been doing disparaging him years. Every Saturday morning, every time we head into the 9 a.m. Eastern hour, I, yeah. have to, I have to listen to that. And you know what? You know, Not maybe a bad I was actor. Wrong. There you go. Well, he was in that great movie. Good cast, though. Great yeah. ensemble cast in that movie. Uh, Boiler Room, he was good in as well. Eh. Uh, no, he was. He was. He was good in that. You might not like the movie. but that I was didn't like that movie. movie. Yeah, but it was. I, I did uh, uh, Chronicles of Riddick, not necessarily. But, yeah, listen, he's made himself a lot of money. Let's welcome aboard Amy Dash, uh, CBS Sports uh, legal analyst, joins us now. Good morning, Amy. How are you? Good morning. I feel like I'm listening to a Fandango commercial. There you <laughs> yeah. go. We'll get to the sports here in just a moment. We usually get around to it at some point. Amy, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, wish we could have a, a more fun conversation, but unfortunately we can't. I mean, the Zeke Elliott suspension that gets um, – or excuse me, the preliminary injunction that comes down. We believe that Zeke might be able to play now for the entire season. First of all, I've heard that the only grant preliminary injunctions when it's quote-unquote extraordinary measures. Um, Were you surprised that this came down at all? I was shocked. So when you bring a preliminary injunction request, when you're supposed to bring it, which means at the end of the arbitration, it's very hard to win. They brought this before the arbitration decision had even been handed down, so it would have been very, very easy for this judge to simply dismiss it and deny it. But what he did is he went looking for an exception, a way to give himself jurisdiction over this claim before he was really entitled to to have it. And he found this exception in the Court of Appeals that only oversees Texas, meaning they probably would not have had this result in New York. And what the exception says is that you don't have to wait for the arbitration to be finished if the judge finds that the employer's conduct basically rejects the remedies in the collective bargaining agreement. And so what he said is that 
by the NFL, which he believed trying to hide evidence from Ezekiel Elliott in their camp, that that whole conspiracy theory, that that basically puts them in a position of rejecting their own remedies in the collective bargaining agreement. And because of what they did there, then he could rule on whether the arbitration itself was fair. So it was a very, very, um, it was a very particular argument that I don't think we would see anywhere else. And it has me questioning whether the judge is a Cowboys fan. Really? Yeah, well, wow. Um, what's the next step here for the NFL? Well, they can try to appeal, but it's very difficult to appeal at this stage because, first of all, the courts don't even want to touch the arbitration agreements. Second of all, the courts want you to wait until there's a final judgment to appeal. So they, they have a chance to appeal, but it's very, very difficult to even get the right to. They have to you know, jump over a lot of legal hurdles that I don't think they'll be able to here. Wait, so you don't think that they're going to file appeal in the Fifth Circuit and try to do basically what they did with Brady and Adrian Peterson? Well, they will, but they have to wait until this judge makes his final judgment. Okay. So what I'm saying is they can appeal his preliminary injunction, but that's going to be very difficult. So they're probably going to have to wait until he issues a final judgment. And this preliminary injunction can basically stay in place for months, even years. I doubt years would happen, but definitely months. So when people are asking, is Ezekiel Elliott going to play – because that's what most people care about when they're talking about this case. That's pretty much all they care about. He's probably going to play throughout this season. Well, also, we're talking with Amy Dash. You know, Amy, one other thing I think that people might care about, if you're really following this closely, is the, is the precedent that this could set. You know, if Zeke does prevail here, and even if this gets appealed to the Fifth Circuit, and let's say he wins there, what is the precedent that this could set in terms of um, how players can sue the, I guess, sue the NFL? Well, what it would do is it would criticize the arbitration process, but really only because there's a finding here, according to the judge, that the NFL sought to ensure that he and his camp wouldn't get critical evidence. Now, that's them not following their own arbitration process. If they had simply not tried to hide evidence, which it sounds like the judge thinks that they did, then we wouldn't have a problem with their arbitration process as it's defined. So he's basically saying they didn't follow their own arbitration process. So I don't think it's going to set any type of a precedent. I think it's just going to eventually lead to an overturning of the award, and that's pretty much it. Now, if people think, by the way, that throughout this process we're going to find out whether Ezekiel Elliott actually committed domestic abuse or not, we're not. That's not what this is about, and the judge did not – basically exonerate Ezekiel Elliott, all the judge ruled on and all the judge is going to continue to rule on is whether the arbitration process was fair and whether the NFL followed it. All right, once the final decision is there and they, you know, and uh, the NFL does appeal it, I mean, the, the timeline we're looking at, reasonable timeline here, Amy, is what? The decision could take months, the final decision, and there are procedural ways that the NFLPA can delay it. So we're probably into next season before there's an appeal to the Court of Appeals. And then that could take months as well. Very interesting. We're talking with Amy Dash. You know, this is one thing that I just I thought was just I don't understand it. And I'm hoping maybe you can you can help me out. The NFL Players Association, they tweeted out after the ruling on the restraining order and the preliminary injunction being granted to Zeke Elliott, they said Commissioner discipline will continue to be a distraction from our game for one reason 
because NFL owners have refused to collectively bargain a fair and transparent process that exists in other sports. I'm confused by that. Isn't this collectively bargained? I, yes. I don't I don't understand what <laughs> yes. they're talking. I want to try to understand it, and I don't. Yeah. That's a great point. It is collectively bargained. So, um, so what are they saying then? Then they shouldn't agree. I mean, I guess they feel that they are in an unequal position in the bargaining process, that the NFL has all the power, and maybe the NFL has not been willing to budge on, on those points. Hmm. Very interesting. We're talking to Amy Dash, uh, CBS Sports legal analyst. Um, Amy, how can, uh, you know, from your perspective, how can the NFL adjust here uh, what they're doing in handing out these kind of uh, suspensions without going to court consistently with the Players Association? I think they could do what they did with with the Ray Rice situation, is that Roger Goodell handed the arbitration over to an independent former federal judge. Here, he assigned uh, Harold Henderson, who we know worked for the NFL. He's an insider. So... What the judge said in this case is that Harold Henderson committed serious, serious misconduct, that it was egregious in him not allowing Ezekiel Elliott to cross-examine his accuser in the arbitration or to cross-examine Roger Goodell. That's what made it unfair. When you're looking to overturn an arbitration award, there's only one question that the judge is answering, and that is, was it fundamentally unfair? He already answers it. He flat out says in this injunction it was a fundamentally unfair process. What does that mean? It means that we already know how he's going to rule. We don't even have to wait for his judgment. He's probably ruling for Ezekiel Elliott because he answered the one question that he's looking at throughout this whole thing. And the reason it was unfair is because Harold Henderson wouldn't let him cross-examine his accuser. Is there anything to say that moving forward, Harold Henderson won't be asked to be an arbitrator again? I mean, would this disqualify him from any hearing any further cases? Oh, I think it should. If the NFL wants to um, wants to sort of get this to go away, uh-huh. if they lose, then I think they have to refuse to assign cases to Harold Henderson. But to answer your question from before, they should assign these cases to somebody who's a complete outsider. You know, moving away just from Zeke for a moment, if you don't mind, Amy, we're talking with Amy Dash. She's CBS Sports WFAN legal analyst. Uh, You can see her everywhere, all over. Um, One question I have about Michael Bennett, and obviously we saw this week um, he put out the statement about what happened between him and Las Vegas police um, after the Mayweather-McGregor fight August 26th. And, you know, he said that he's retained legal counsel, that he's looking at perhaps uh, allegations, you know, excessive force, racial profiling, thinking about a civil lawsuit, then we see the video come out. Uh, I'm just curious, what are some of the legal options that Michael Bennett would have? Because it's my understanding that it's very hard to win a lawsuit against a police department. It is, but Michael Bennett's very high profile. And it, depending on what the video shows, if there's an indication that there was excessive force used and his constitutional rights were violated or that he was unlawfully detained, which would mean that he was detained for longer than he should have or there wasn't a reasonable suspicion to detain him, then he can bring these suits. And what normally happens, especially with somebody high profile, is that on the civil side, it would be settled. I mean, have if you he looked... wants to settle, he may not want to settle. Have you looked into this at all? I mean, what, what does this case look like to you um, in terms of your expertise? I watched the video. I found it really interesting because there are a lot of people running out of the casino. And I read the, uh, 
the police department's letter, and they basically say that he hid and he ran. Now, upon first glance, if, some, if there are gunshots being fired and people are hiding and running, that doesn't seem suspicious to me. Why was his conduct suspicious Is he, if he's trying to get himself out of there? And so when I watched the video, it was very hard to tell because I saw a lot of people running. And then all of a sudden, the police go, we have a runner. And you see someone sprinting so quickly out of the casino, faster than anybody else. And they start pursuing him, and then he, like, jumps over this four-foot wall. Now, I'm wondering, did he catch their attention because he's an NFL player and he's just extraordinarily fast and adept at jumping walls? Like, who? nobody else was jumping over the wall. And was that his instinct because that's sort of his training, that's what he does, and that's just how he responds to a situation where he's trying to escape? So I don't even know whether race really is an issue or not. I obviously can't say the police didn't target him because of his race, because I don't know what was in their mind. But I'm wondering if it was also a factor that he was just faster than everybody else when he was trying to escape. You know, final one for me, final one for you, uh, Amy, from me. What are the, some of the obstacles that he would have to overcome if he does want to bring a lawsuit against the Las Vegas police? Well, he would have to show that there was really no reasonable, he didn't create any reasonable suspicion in their mind that he could have been the shooter. Um, on his side with that is the fact that he wasn't carrying a weapon. And also the circumstances, the totality of the circumstances are on his side. Because if the police are saying that he created suspicion in their mind because he was hiding and then running and jumping over a wall when he was trying to escape from a casino where there was a, potentially an active shooter, that, that doesn't create reasonable suspicion if everybody else is also trying to get out because it doesn't make him do anything out of the ordinary. So, um, so I think he has that stuff on his side, but of course what he'll have to overcome is that the police have a lot of broad leeway in chaotic situations, dangerous situations, to sort of use their judgment and use their perception as to whether somebody is acting in a way that gives them pause to think that they might be involved in the crime. Amy Dash, CBS Sports Legal Analyst. Amy, we appreciate a couple minutes this morning. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. And, My pleasure. Uh, thanks for your perspective. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Amy. You got it. And uh, good job there. Give you a little clarity. And uh, we'll see how now this long, drawn-out process for Ezekiel Elliott does play out. And we'll see exactly what Michael Bennett does do, decide to do moving forward. Uh, with the Las Vegas Police Department. As we roll right along here on this Saturday morning, Moose and Maggie with you. Coming up straight ahead, we've got NFL picks. we got Tweets of the Week. Andrew Brandt, MMQB, will join us as well. Action-packed final hour. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Rolling right along, Moose and Mackie with you. We did our college picks last hour, week one NFL season for Sunday, a Thursday night game already in the books. Let's get to it, week one NFL picks. All right, Mackie Gray, where are you going game one? Okay, my first game that I'm going to pick, Moose, I'm going to go L.A. Rams. I'm going to take the home team here against the Colts. I'm going to lay the four and a half and – it's not so much about the Rams, more about the Colts. Uh, you know, you're going to have Scott Tolzien. I don't think that he's going to be very effective for Indianapolis. I think in some ways, you know, depending on Luck's shoulder, I think Indy's kind of taken a sort of uh, laid back, I don't say laid back, but like a, a step back approach. You know, you got a new general manager there. I think that they're rebuilding a lot. 
Uh, they address some defensive woes in the draft and, and in free agency. But that offense, I don't know if they're going to be able to score. I don't know if the Rams are going to be able to score, but at least they got a couple of weapons. We'll see Jared Goff year two. So at home, give me the Rams, and I'll lay the four-and-a-half pick one. All right, Rams laying four-and-a-half pick number one. Pick number one for me, I'm going to take the Texans laying five at home against the Jaguars. I mean, it is just going to be a lot of raw emotion uh, for the Houston Texans. Plus, Jacksonville isn't particularly good offensively, and I think they're going to have a hard time moving it. Um, Watt, that defense, I think is as – uh, as great as they were without him last year, I think they'll be very, very good with him this year. Yeah, a little concerned about Savage, a quarterback for the Texans to start off the year, but um, that's going to be an emotional scene. Football back in the city of Houston, um, and I think they're going to put on an absolute show. Give me the Texans laying five. That's game number one. Okay, uh, pick number two for me. I'm going to kind of go against one of my rules here, which is not to bet on divisional games in week one. But I'm going to break it for Bengals-Ravens. And I'm going to take the Bengals and I'm going to lay the three just because, you know, Joe Flacco, not a lot of time in the offseason to really get any rhythm with his receivers. Meanwhile, the Bengals running it back with basically the same squad plus adding in Joe Mixon. You know, I think their running game is going to be effective. I'm expecting good things from A.J. Green this year, as we always do, if he can stay healthy, Andy Dalton healthy. So I'm going to break my own rule, but I'm going to take the Bengals at home and lay the three. All right, uh, that's game number two for you. Yes. Game number two for me, um, I will take the – I'll take Carolina on the road laying for San Francisco. I think the 49ers will be, be a little bit better this year. Um, however, I think Carolina will bounce back. It's good that Newton, even though he's questionable, said he's good to go, ready to roll. McCaffrey is going to be fun to watch. Curtis Samuels for that uh, – Curtis Samuel for that Carolina team as well. Uh, Panthers had a disastrous 2016. They're looking to bounce back in a big way in 17. Um, And I think they get off to a good start in San Francisco against the 49ers. Give me Carolina laying the four. Okay, so that's pick two for you. And then final pick for me, I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons on the road and I'll lay the six and a half against the Chicago Bears. I just, I don't know. What are the Bears going to be? I don't really know. Don't have a good sense. And I'm really expecting the Falcons. I mean, the devastating loss in the Super Bowl I feel like if you could have asked them if they want to play the next day, they would have done it, you know, just to try to get that bad taste out of their mouth. I think they're going to come out uh, really on fire. The offense was really never the problem with the Falcons, and I think they're going to be able to score, and I think they're going to be able to score a lot on the Bears. I can easily see them winning this game by a touchdown, maybe more. So give me the Falcons, and I'll lay the six and a half. All right, game number three for me. I'm going to take the Giants uh, plus the four on the road, Dallas on Sunday night. Uh, I think the Giants are are setting themselves up for a, a big uh, 2017. 111-5 last year, made the playoffs, disappointing exit, boat trip, everything, Green Bay, Lambeau Field. Put that aside. It does not matter to me if Odell Beckham Jr. can give it a go. Still questionable with that ankle injury, still receiving treatment. We'll see if he plays tomorrow night uh, against the Cowboys. And I know Ezekiel Elliott is back for Dallas. However, the best unit is the Giants' defense as they go up against the strength of the Cowboys, which is the Cowboys' offense and that offensive line. I'm going to take the Giants. I think they slow down Elliott. I think they get after Prescott. I think the defense makes a couple of plays. Giants' concern is their offensive line, and it remains a concern. Um, and I don't know if it's gonna, that concern is going to be answered in a positive light tomorrow night on the whole. I think they'll get better as the season goes along. Give me the Giants. They'll score points on that 
score points on that Cowboys defense, and the Giants defense will set the tone Sunday night in Big D. Okay, so let's review. For me, I'm going to pick one. L.A. Rams, I'm going to lay the four and a half against the Colts. Pick two, I'm taking Cincinnati, lay the three against Baltimore. Pick number three, Atlanta, laying the six and a half, six and a half against the Bears. All right, and uh, my three picks are I'm taking Houston, laying the five against Jacksonville. Carolina, laying the four against San Francisco. And the Giants, plus the four in Dallas on Sunday night. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Rolling right along here on this Saturday morning. Moose and Maggie with you. Summer's heat could cause your battery fluids to evaporate, so get your battery tested for free. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people help will help you find the battery you need. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's uh, welcome board Andrew Brandt, MMQB. Uh, business. It does a great job. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Morning, guys. <laughs> the business of football supposedly ends as the games kick off, but it never does seem to. No, and you know, Andrew, I want to tap into your expertise here, not just as a former front office executive, former player agent, but also as a lawyer, um, yeah. because Zeke Elliott, obviously the victory today, you know, yesterday really, but the victory here is is an important one because now he'll be able to play immediately. But in terms of long-term ramifications here, because you know as well as I do, the NFL is always playing the long game. It's the players who have to play the short game. What do you think long-term ramifications of this could be? Well, a lot to unpack here. I told my sports law class this week, Elliot's got a really uphill climb because courts are willing to be very, very deferential to arbitrators. Unless something is truly egregious, they're going to just affirm what the arbitrator, in this case Harold Anderson, says about a case, but lo and behold, here we are. Two years almost to the day, the same thing happened with Tom Brady, Mm -hmm. where the lower court says, NFL, what are you doing? What are you doing? This this investigation just didn't go the way it should. It wasn't fair. It It excluded evidence that we needed to see. It's a stunning rebuke, and it's two cases in three and two years to two of the most high profile players in the game. But, as you know, Maggie, this is about the appeal in the NFL's eyes. Elliott's going to play. I think the odds are probably 50-50 whether he plays the first six games next year because this will go into the spring, and then we'll see the appeals court will probably overturn this and reinstate the suspension. But, again, appeals courts, lower courts, it's all a mess Mm -hmm. because – we're dealing with all this law outside the CBA, and I know the union gloated last night with its statement, but at the end of the day, it is in the CBA. So to change this has to happen through bargaining, no matter how many lawyers and law cases are going to happen. Ultimately, Goodell's power is unchanged. Um, what needs to change in the CBA to prevent these legal battles time and time again, Andrew? Well, the union has figured out a way to take this out of the process and go to court and found some receptivity only because of these investigations. I mean, Brady, there was stuff that people are like, why Why wasn't that investigated? What about the pressure gauges and all those things? And here, the exclusion of a key investigator's testimony and the accuser's testimony, and you scratch your head and look at it and say, why? Why wouldn't the NFL button it up? So two things, Moose, you could, you know, button up these investigations better 
or what I have been saying for, for 10 years, which is really, you know, can there be a better relationship between leadership of the union and the league where they can go into a back room? They don't need to be buddies. They don't need to have drinking, you know, beers together, but say, listen, this is a mess. Let's clean it up. Roger Goodell doesn't have to give up power, but maybe include a union representative in the decision-making. Maybe include D. Smith in the deliberations. Would that be so hard? I mean, again, it, it's hard because they don't like each other. Yeah, super toxic they relationship. They don't trust each other. Yeah, and, and it's we're talking with Andrew Brand. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew, this is something that I kind of wrestle with just because what's to say that there's not going to be another case after Ezekiel Elliott and another case after that. And eventually we're going to get to a point where the NFL and the NFLPA are back at the bargaining table. And it's going to feel like on the outside, this is a very important priority for them to address. Yet, let's think about it. These are only a couple guys. You know, yes, they're high profile, but the rank and file of the NFL may not want their union representatives spending a lot of time or making concessions because you know the NFL is not just going to give away power for free. They're going to want something back. Everything's a negotiation. And the rank and file might say, forget these guys. Like, if if they're going to get themselves in trouble, like Zeke Elliott, you know, wrong place, wrong time, whether he did it, all this stuff, it's not out of thin air that this case came, right? So will will they actually want to make this a priority when push comes to shove? Well, again, full disclosure, I think I've said it on this show. I've written it. I was on the HBO Sports with Real Brian Gumbel. I did admit this. I was approached about becoming union director a couple years ago. I decided after deliberations against it. So I just want to disclose that. Having said that, I just think you, you hit it on the head. We go back and forth, not just me talking about the business of football, everyone talking about football. Reporters on, you know, go back and forth. Is it going to be commissioner discipline? Is it money? Is it franchise tags? Is it drug testing? Is it marijuana? Is it concussions? You know, the union's got a long list. The owner's priority is pretty clear. They want more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want profitability. So I guess the question is always going to be prioritization. We are really hyped up on this discipline thing right now. In five months, in three months, in two months, will we be? Will the union be? There'll be other issues. So I guess we come back to prioritizing, and prioritizing in 2017 may be different than 2020. We're talking to Andrew Brand, MMQB. Andrew, Michael Bennett um, and everything that happened out in Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Police Department. Now, the NFL has a good relationship with police departments and you know, and, and law enforcement and, and everything and the like, and... Um, I'm curious what's your take when when the Las Vegas Police Department asked the NFL to investigate the decision by the National Football League not to investigate what Michael Bennett is claiming that happened in Las Vegas and they were looking to investigate his behavior. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, it's really kind of like domestic violence. I mean, the NFL has to walk a fine line here, support their player, support what appears to be a really unfair, potentially racist situation, yet be on the side of police. I mean, who who is holding these banners at all these games? Who is the the people they they stand up and cheer, the first responders, the law enforcement, obviously military? So, again, I don't – I think sympathize is too strong a word. I empathize with the NFL in trying to run a fine line between not disrespecting police 
but supporting the players. And we've seen what's gone on in Cleveland, the back and forth with the police union there. And this is the fine line they have to do. Again, it all started a year, you know, 18 months, uh, I'm sorry, 13 months ago with Colin Kaepernick, where it was a tweet from the NFL that said, we encourage our players but do not require them to stand for the anthem. And I thought that was quick, that was towing the line, that supported the players, but also set up a policy, and everything seems to have flown from there. You know, I don't know if this is like a I'm not I'm not trying to make a causality here, but I feel like it's bare it's worth pointing out just cuz we are talking about the business of football that the NFL gets a lot of money from the military, right? I mean, as an advertiser, and that was a story that came out I think in the New York Times like yep. 2 years ago. Right. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know if it's a causality. I just feel like it's it's kind of worth bringing up. We're talking with Andrew Brand. Yeah. He does the business of football. He's done it all in the NFL. And, Andrew, I'm curious to get your thoughts on a, another thing that Moose and I touched on briefly earlier in the show, which was uh, the TV uh, ratings. You know, I, I think it's kind of difficult to accurately calculate ratings just because, you know, we're streaming now, we're getting our, our TV, or getting our games, rather, in, in all different types of ways. But, you know, the fact that it was down, what, 10% for the opener on Thursday night when you have the defending champ Patriots in a – game between two great teams in the AFC. What did that signal to you? Yeah, it's something to watch. Yeah. It's something to watch. I mean, we talked about it this time last year, the first eight weeks, we could chalk it up to the election. And frankly, I think that's a valid reason, yeah. the election. And also, <laughs> look who, Tom Brady wasn't playing for four games. Uh, and there are two election debates going up against uh, Sunday night or, or Monday night NFL football. So now we don't have the election. So now we're going to look, and, and we're going to see what the trend is. Having said all this, Maggie, I'll, I'll be quick about this because I think this is worth a whole segment. We have new players. We have Twitter last year doing Thursday night streaming. We have Amazon this year Thursday night streaming. I would think there would be a Facebook or a Google coming in next year. So they're going to be at the table. So I don't know if ratings are really going to matter before these new deals because we're going to have new bidders. And I just think the NFL is in a great position with, uh, with these new companies with flush cash wanting product. So we're going to watch that. Yeah, and it's interesting. And then, and then it's a matter of generating because there is the concern, Andrew. I mean, and, and that is why I think they're bringing back end zone and touchdown celebrations, trying to make mm -hmm. uh, the game a little bit more fun to the millennial, a little bit more of an enjoyable watch. Uh, you know, I, I think that's why the, the National Football League makes that adjustment. You agree? Yeah, and I think we can, we can finish this segment where we started because I think it goes back to the business side. Remember this week, this week, right now, three years ago, Maggie, you and I were doing these shows. This was unbelievable. We had Rice video. We had Peterson pictures of his picture of his son. We had Greg Hardy stuff. And – People were coming on and saying, I don't know if I can cover the NFL anymore. I don't know what to do. We had the Radisson pulling uh, draping from the Vikings. Mm -hmm. And we had Anheuser-Busch not pulling advertising but saying, I don't know. Things are crazy right now. And we had a sea change in the NFL. And I think the Elliott thing is a reaction to three years ago still. I mean, we have a new, new policies about what pleases sponsors. We didn't want these guys on the field. So I think it's all related, and the business of sports really rules all this. So 
What Goodell is doing, part of it is his own thing about role modeling and first-class conduct, but part of it is business. Yeah. You know, uh, one last thing on that business. I, one thing I was noticing, and, and I'm not sure, I, I went looking around for it. I, I was trying to do some research. I don't think any company has threatened to pull out of any of their sponsorship with the team or the league over Colin Kaepernick. I couldn't find one. And, you know, I think that for people who believe that if he gets signed on a team that all of a sudden, you know, season ticket holders are going to start burning their jerseys and turning in their tickets and turning away from the NFL. Andrew, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see the I don't see the evidence. Not at all. And listen, I've said this all summer. Colin Kaepernick is a much bigger story unsigned than he is signed. You know, the, the cycle of news in the NFL. I mean, yep. he'll be signed on a Tuesday. By Wednesday, we're talking about something else. So I don't know why teams are not signing him. Again, I said this all along. Is he being blackballed? I think not. Is he being judged on more than football? I think yes. So it's somewhere between that spectrum. Andrew Brandt, MMQB. Andrew, we appreciate your perspective here this morning, and uh, enjoy your weekend and enjoy the first big NFL Sunday. Yeah, we're off to Green Bay to see the opener to, uh, with the Seahawks. Ooh, nice. Fun. Enjoy that. Enjoy, Packers. Guys. You got it. Packers, Seahawks, and Lambeau. Let's get to some tweets of the week. Okay, let's do it. All right, here we are. Uh, reaction of the Chiefs win over the Pats. Chris Conley, prayers for Eric Berry. Uh, Charkandrick West, uh, prayers in the sky for my brother, Eric Berry. Love you, brother. Derek Carr, I really hope Eric Berry is all right. Praying for you. Uh, amazing competitor, amazing person. Ruptured Achilles tendon. He'll be okay, done for the year. Uh, just terrible. I mean, the guy's overcome cancer, you know. And yep. just, although, I'll say this, Moose, he held out last year. And got the big contract, and that looks like really good timing. It does. Mark Rick, bless critics questioning motivation for canceling game. Uh, to set the record straight, we have not practiced since Tuesday. Bless Excuse you. me. Thank you. Uh, and we won't till everyone gets back bless into you. town after the Category 5 hurricane. Uh, nor have we met with a with a, the team or the staff. The safety of our players and staff and the ability uh, for them to be with family is our priority. Very sad to read some of the comments of some football fans and some members of the media believing we had some other motive. You family. I don't know who these people could be. No. I, I mean, you have to check yourself in the mirror if you think that this was motivation other than safety. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers introduced new stars, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Jake Crowder, Zizic, uh, Tristan Thompson, them boys looking good holding up them Cavs jerseys. Uh, let's get it, fellas. Yeah, did you read Isaiah Thomas's piece in the Players' Tribune? I saw it. I did not read it. Uh, no. Totally worth it. I mean, heartbreaking in a lot of ways, talking about his sister, China, but then also very illuminating when he got a text from Tom Brady. Oh. After he was traded. There you go. Yeah, cool Ten stuff. Tennis players react to American women sweeping U.S. Open semis. Anna uh, Tedesvili, uh, all four American women semifinal at this year's U.S. Open. Wow, incredible. Uh, Irana Falcone, uh, four American women in the U.S. Open semifinals, guaranteed American champion, Holy America. <laughs> uh, Melody Quidden, uh, wow, America, amazing to see four U.S. women making up the, making up to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. So happy for American tem tennis. Billie Jean King, so wonderful to have four American women left in the U.S. Open draw. Excited to see how it plays out. History will be made. Hashtag pressure is a privilege. There you go. Tweets it's a good of the hashtag. Week. There you go. Your tweets of the week. Yeah, Billie Jean King has been saying the pressure is a privilege. You know, did you see that the Battle of the Sexes movie is coming out? I did not. Emma know. Stone playing Billie Jean King and Steve Carell playing Bobby Riggs. 
Oh, that'll be a good yeah, one. Yeah, it's going to be a good movie. You know, we were talking before, no summer blockbusters this no, year. Fourth of July comes and gone. Moose's his wake up call today was the fact they're remaking Flatliners. The movie yes. came out in 1990. It's like, get a new idea. But, well, right. Uh, yeah. The Battle of the Sexes movie, I think, could actually be very good. I think it could be, yeah. Steve Carell, Emma Stone. I mean, that's amazing. Well, it is. It's, it's really all about the script. I mean, True. if the script is good, if it's well written, if they, it's got to be believable dialogue. It's got to be believable dialogue. I mean, even the tennis scenes don't have to be off the charts, but they have got to be good enough. They can't be embarrassingly bad. But oh, like the movie Wimbledon, right? It's like no, Kirsten Dunst. No, no. It, right? It did not work. But <laughs> it yeah, that look I like mean, the movie Bridesmaids, you know, where they have that tennis scene. But let me like, ask I've you seen this: Do you, do in you a really want to go to doing what we do? Yeah. Do you really want to go to the movies and watch a sports movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally LOLing. Um, uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to I like, mean, to be get, like get the hey, mojo you know, going. You've been covering all week long, Andrew. Let's go. Let's go. It's a great no, my topic. My husband loves movies, though. He's such I, a movie buff. I get it. I understand that. But is that the movie that'd be at the top of your list to go see after you've been talking about it, covering it, interviewing people, doing all that all week long? Let's go spend two and a half hours more on sports? It take, it, It's... <laughs> not easy yeah the answer is no well the other I mean, thing that happens is, is no. i read so many sports books right you know because i interview a lot of people who are on book tours it. and stuff yeah. like that and sometimes i'm looking at the next book and i'm like i can't i just have to it's like you have to it's like grinding through the the defensive line i look forward to the next lego movie to take jackson to, <laughs> that's honestly. coming out Ninja <laughs> I know. Legos. I, I, I'm, I'm fired up no what did he say I, to you last time when you fell asleep uh daddy he hit me in the stomach daddy wake up you're snoring <laughs> I passed out during the Batman Lego movie. The most expensive nap you'll ever take. It was great. It was honestly great. I'm like, all right, Jackson. Just turn over to the side. That's exactly right. It's so dark in there, though. Uh, so oh, it's great. Nice and cool. Anthony, Chris, great job across the way. Pete with the updates yeah, throughout the course of the morning as well. To our guests, Caitlin Thompson, Ralph Russo, uh, Andrew Brandt, and Amy Dash. Maggie, enjoy your weekend. Thanks. You too, Moose. Go Rutgers. You got it. Talk to you next Saturday. CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.